I mean, what's more football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're here previewing all of the week three action. Sam, you ready to go? Yeah, let's go. All right. Thursday night football's tonight. That's Steelers Browns. To preview that, you got to go back to yesterday's show because we had the great Joe Thomas on here to preview that. That's going to be our uh, what we're trying to make our trend here. Wednesday, we preview the Thursday matchup, get some picks. Joe makes an incredible pick, an incredible pick, a once in a lifetime type of pick in that Steelers Browns game. Yeah. If by that you mean the pick he was always going to make. Yeah, but it was by how much? That's true. It was by um, how much? Just to get it officially on record in this show as well, I have gone for the Browns covering a four-and-a-half-point spread, and you've gone for the Steelers. I have. Getting four. Yep, four-and-a-half. So there we go. One so there we go. Steelers-Browns, if you're already listening to this, you, you saw the game. Remember when we used to predict what happened? Yeah. We were so good at it. For like three games, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, we should never go happened. back. Yeah. We should never go back to it. All right, you ready to go? Yeah. All right, week three. This is where we start to really learn about teams. This is, this is it, week three. The pivotal point in the season. So the first game that we're going to cover, Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins. The hype is through the roof, really, for both teams. Mm-hmm. The Bills are the best team we've ever seen. <laughs> and the Dolphins are 2-0, coming off of an incredible comeback, 34-14 to into the fourth quarter, and they made the comeback against the Ravens last week. So a battle of 2-0 AFC East teams. Yeah. Buffalo um, favored by six. And the Dolphins are getting all the, the Mike McDaniel hype. That's where their hype is. Tua, you know, yeah, Tua's good. Tyreek Hill, yeah, but it's Mike McDaniel's a genius. That's the narrative right now. Um, Andrew Hawkins, friend of the show, even though he's never quite been on the show. Still our friend. Yeah, yeah. Buddy. Buddy Andrew Hawk. Um, he was on Rich Eisen's show, and he was talking about Mike McDaniel. Because he has this tweet out there that he, like, himself retweets every now and again from, like, back in 2018 or something, saying... Mike McDaniel's a genius, essentially, right? Paraphrasing heavily, but he was way out in front of the McDaniel thing because Mike McDaniel was his wide receivers coach, I think, back with the Browns in 2014, something like that. And he was saying how he sort of rewired everything that Hawk knew about football that year. You know, everything you thought you knew, McDaniel would essentially tell you to do the opposite and, you know, flip the whole thing in its head. And he was like, he gets a kick out of not just going against the grain but like specifically finding different ways of doing things that are more efficient not taking the same old party line of hey this is what we do this is how you win this is the reason blah blah he's like no i'm gonna find some other way of doing it and when it works i'm gonna gloat you know because yeah. that's the way you should be doing it so hawk was just making the, told the story on rich eisen's podcast it's out there on social media and stuff and obviously wherever else you get rich eisen's podcast but it kind of tallies with what we're seeing in Miami with this Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Tua, the whole shebang. You know, they are winning in interesting ways right now. Um, and I think this, this kind of feels like the best coached game of the week between Mike McDaniel and then, you know, Buffalo across the board, I think have been a very well-coached team for the last few years. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating matchup. I, 
I know the Dolphins, you know, they're tough to beat in Miami, right? Weird stuff always happens in Miami. So it's getting still hot as hell in Miami at this hot point. Hot in September season. and everything. You know, that could that could bridge the gap just a little bit here. Um <clears throat> the Bills so first off with the Dolphins thing, I think we were we started to get on board with this McDaniel thing. I, I don't know when he started talking to the media. Was it just like the middle it of last like it was year? Last year, like halfway through the season, it's like, oh, look at this guy. And, and he'd always say something either he'd always either make a joke or say something really smart, yeah. right? And talk about their you know their angle blocking and how they do these various things. Um, and I think that really led to his getting a head coaching job, and then the moves the Dolphins made that we talked about all offseason, having Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and the speed players and just the binds that they put defenses in and their their ability now to extract good play out of Tua. So we're the place that doesn't overreact to things, mm-hmm. right? Week one, Tua wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Stats were fine. Stats were very good. Week two, I think he was very good. He was very good. One of the highest graded quarterbacks in the week. So beyond just the six touchdowns and a couple busted coverage in the, it, coverages in there, Tua, Tua played well. But the Dolphins are creating high-level offense. They're using more motion and shifts than any team in the league, more play action than any team in the league. So when you talk about McDaniel and some of the edges and stuff like that, carrying over some of the Shanahan-esque stuff and then you know multiplying it, that's what we're seeing yeah. so far from the Dolphins. The Bills, on the other hand, are amazing at some of the stats where they're really good. Things like the third-highest pressure rate in the NFL despite blitzing three times. The highest quick pressure rate in the NFL. Quick pressures being under two and a half seconds, despite blitzing three times. Though that's just these are like domination stats. There's another one out there about how much nickel they're using. In other words, only two linebackers uh, or five defensive backs, more specifically, and they're still not giving it up against the run. Right? Fewer than eight in the box against the run. They're number two in EPA per play. That was kind of like one of the Bills' weaknesses in previous years. They're taking these things that are. Tech, what you want to call schematic edges and doing really well in there because they're not just schematic edges remember ru- creating pressure with four as i always say is a prayer that's a hope and their hope is a reality right now in buffalo i mean it's it's the goal the question is how you go about achieving that goal i think every team in the nfl regardless of how much they blitz would love the starting point of you're going to get pressure with four as much as you want you know you will yep. you will lead the league in pressure with four guys now some coaches might take that and go, awesome. Now I'm going to build on top of that and you know, have an extensive pressure, pressure package with blitzes, and we're just going to be unstoppable. And some guys will go, oh, if I'm going to get four and, or if I'm going to get pressure with four, I'm never going to blitz all season. You, know? you will end up with different pathways built off that. But I think every single defensive coach in the NFL would want that as a starting point. And the Bills have it right now. Uh, the Bills' defense really disciplined they do a nice job keeping the ball in front of them making you earn the deep stuff kind of the opposite of what we saw in the Dolphins comeback against the Ravens last week so I think that will be even with um even with Tyree Kill there the Bills should do a better job of avoiding those big plays however the injury report both starting safeties Micah Hyde Jordan Poyer questionable as of record time right now we know Dane Jackson had his neck injury at corner the other day so the secondary, they're, they're strong at safety, but both of those guys are banged up for Buffalo. That could absolutely be a factor here in this game. Yeah, the Bills generally are dealing with a few injuries. Now, it didn't appear to make them even so much as hiccup against Tennessee. But when you're looking at, right now, the Buffalo Bills are the prohibitive favorite for the Super Bowl. You know, they were the favorite coming into the season. They've waxed the defending Super Bowl champions and last year's AFC number one seed. 
on their way to being even more favored, you know, while a couple of other teams have stumbled along the way. So you look right now, it's like this is – it's Buffalo's Super Bowl to lose as much as such a thing can be true after two weeks of any NFL season. But one thing that could always derail something like that is injuries, yep. you know? And the Bills have actually started to get pick up a few injuries. So far, they don't appear to have affected anything. Um, but that's, I think, something to monitor going forward is do we start to see the impact of some of these injuries – and, you know, will it become a problem or are they just so good that they're able to roll anyway? The other thing I'm looking at, too, the Bills, look, it's it's early. The Bills' pass blocking grade is 20th in yeah. the NFL. So they're creating a lot of offense despite not the best pass protection in the world. It's not like they've been horrible. Um, but we thought that was a question coming in. So the offensive line hasn't played out of their mind is what I'm saying. And they're still incredible offensively. The Dolphins, on the other hand, have not rushed the passer well yet. Despite blitzing the crap out of everybody else yeah they've got the second highest blitz rate in the nfl behind only arizona who we talked about having that suicidal blitz heavy game plan week one and and when when it comes to like our pass rush grades when you blitz heavy it doesn't necessarily mean the grades should be higher but you know the dolphins the dolphins have better pass rushers than maybe they're showing so far jalen phillips and um Emmanuel Ogba and Christian Wilkins and Raekwon Davis. I mean, those guys, they just they have a pretty good defensive line as far as run defense and pass rush goes. I think what Miami's game plan is in terms of blitzing or trying to generate pressure is going to be a story in this game. Um, you know, the second highest blitz rate in the NFL. Josh Allen is becoming one of those guys right now that you don't want to blitz because generally speaking, he punishes and punishes hard for that. So does Miami stick with that? Like, no, this is what we do. We're going to send the house. And we're going to live with the consequences. Or do they, you know, make that realization of, hey, this guy is just destroying the blitz right now. Maybe let's play coverage. Yeah. And, you know, that had been the strategy, but Allen's been incredible at just taking yeah, the underneath I mean, stuff. That's the other thing is I also – he's reached this point where there's no right answer. Yeah. You know, like Mahomes, whatever about the debate right now about you know, who's better, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes – you at least have a right, a correct answer in terms of what the game plan should be to defend Patrick Mahomes. It is still drop as many guys into coverage as humanly possible and try and make him be patient and hope that he, go, he makes a mistake somewhere along the way. Now, he'll probably still carve you up, but that is a definitive, unquestionable, better way of doing it than saying, no, we're going to blitz the crap out of, out of uh, Patrick Mahomes and hope because the numbers just overwhelmingly say that will not work. With Josh Allen, I don't think there is a right answer. Neither one of those um, game of those extremes has proven to be better than the other one. Right now, he's carving up either methodology, so I don't know what you do going into a game. All right, Josh Allen, highest-graded quarterback in the league right now. They're on a roll uh, in Buffalo. Six points on the road in Miami. Uh, by the way, Teron Armstead also questionable the starting left tackle for the Dolphins with Vaughn Miller on the other side Gregory Rousseau all the different pass rushers that they're rotating there is there a more important injury in the NFL this week just having a Teron Armstead healthy I mean honestly a lot of this will come down to which Bills play if their safeties are healthy if Dolphins if if Teron Armstead's healthy but where are you going in this one six points and this by the way was always the risk of signing a Teron Armstead you know when he's healthy he's arguably the best left tackle in the NFL or one of the top five um but he's played a thousand snaps i think once in his career you know he's yeah. always injured you have to you have to budget that into the, the plan and when he isn't there 
you're back to a disaster at left tackle like you had last season. Um, I I'm gonna. It's a lot of points, particularly in Miami. But Buffalo, by the way, Ar- Armstead with an 83 pass blocking grade through two weeks, he's been excellent so far for the Dolphins. Buffalo have been so good the first couple of weeks that I'm buying into that until I see otherwise. I'm going Buffalo as well. Here's what I feel about with the with the Bills. There are super teams. There are teams who have felt like super teams before, right? The Patriots have done this before. The Chiefs have done this before. At some point, they'll come back down to earth. At yeah. some point, the Bills will not be unstoppable. But this isn't the week. Also, by the way, think about last week. Miami is down hard to Baltimore, and they end up executing one of the biggest comebacks, you know, the biggest comeback in the NFL for 12 years or something, right? And it happened because Baltimore's defense lost track of Tyree Kill multiple times in the space of a few minutes. The one thing you know about Buffalo's defense, whether or not they're healthy, you know, they're entirely healthy on the back end is they're not going to give you those big plays. You know, you're going to, you might be able to come back against well, them. Well, not behind the defense, but Tyreek did have that yeah, yeah. 65 yard or whatever it was in the divisional round against Buffalo. Agree. But they are very, very good at keeping everything in front of them and not giving you those giant chunk plays to be able to claw back, you know, a 21 point sure. deficit late in the game in a couple of minutes. All right, No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now. Promo code is PFFNFL. That's PFFNFL at nohouseadvantage.com. That's where you're using it. Or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You don't want to miss out on this offer. All right, the other, well, one of the biggest games of the year, Green Bay Packers at the Tampa Bay Bucks, but might not feel like that because a lot of players banged up here, especially on the Bucks side. Yeah, I mean, is, is <laughs> getting anybody healthy for this game? The Bucks are down, you know, most of their receivers, including Mike Evans with the one-game suspension being upheld. Um, Green Bay just don't have any receivers to start with. They are also still working their way back in terms of full health of an offensive line. There's just... Here's, here's the Bucks receiving core. Mike Evans, out. Yep. Rashad Perryman, questionable. Mm. Scotty Miller, questionable. Julio Jones, questionable. Russell Gage, questionable. Chris Godwin, questionable. And probably out. The, and almost certainly yeah. out. Um, Rashad Perryman and Scotty Miller are questionable independent of injury status as well, you know? Well, yeah. They're just questionable receivers. Yeah. The only guy, I, th- I think the only guy they have that's not on the injury report is Jalen Darden. Darden breakout game. Let's go. He played one snap last week. He picked up a holding penalty on a reverse yeah. or an end around. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a big question. Also, Carl, Carlton Davis showed up on the injury report at corner for the uh, for the Bucks this week as well. Now, Green Bay, um, David Bakhtiari still a uh, still questionable, right? Because we haven't seen him uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, They've got Christian Watson, Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins. They're all questionable as well. Alan Lazard. So they also have receivers questionable. I don't know if there is, you know, Cobb was ill. I don't know if they're as banged up as the Bucks receiving core. 
but the Packers are questionable at receiving core in general. Um, We've seen two games of the Packers. They looked terrible against the Minnesota Vikings, who just got torched by the Eagles. If you want to do a little, um, whatchamacallit, Um, what's the uh, principle, mathematical principle? Just slipped my mind. It's just bad, whatever it is. If A is better than B and B is better than C, then yeah. A is, you know, that one. Yeah. Transitive property. If you want a transitive property there the NFL go. here, nice. then uh, the Packers must be terrible because the Vikings just got lit up by the Eagles, uh. right? Um, but the Packers had a much better game against the Bears, who I still don't think are very good. So I don't know if we know anything about the Packers just yet as far as how good this offense is going to be. No. I mean, God, there's just so many injuries in this game. Like, in addition to the receiving cores for both teams, Akeem Hicks, out. Um, and he's got, you know, what is the plantar fasciitis in his foot, which is always a bad injury. Yeah. It's just, and look, you know, they're saying it's not an injured reserve. He's going to be out for a few weeks, but that's the kind of thing that I don't know that you tend to come back from particularly strongly immediately. It's a lingering thing, particularly when you're a giant human being. Like, think of the stress that a guy the size of Akeem Hicks is putting through his foot anytime he plants it in the turf and tries to... Uh, exert any kind of force there injuries aren't always predictable but when you those are the risks you take like you said when you when you sign a teron armstead when you sign an hakeem hicks guys that have an injury history recently they are more likely to get injured so that is a a part of the risk there and that's a big blow for a defense that's looked really good through the first couple of weeks um you know hakeem hicks paired with vita vea on the inside is a very it's a sort of throwback looking defense but it makes it very difficult to run on and we saw what Green Bay is able to do on the ground with Aaron Jones and uh, A.J. Dillon tearing up the, the Chicago Bears on Sunday night. So losing those or losing one of those two guys in the inside is a big blow for that defense. Like, I think it's really good anyway, but that's that's going to open it up. Packers are favored by one. I mean, sorry, the Bucks are favored by one here at home. A couple of the narrative type stuff. Aaron Rodgers struggled mightily uh, in florida generally when going to florida Hmm. playing in florida so remember his last two absolutely horrible like 40 something graded games last year against the saints that game was in jacksonville remember week one and then two years ago against the bucks does that matter at all can he not throw in the humidity i don't know we'll find out um but there's that and then there's um what else is there well, just the fact that this is a huge game with, you know, number future number one seed implications. I can't believe you didn't run the data on Aaron Rodgers' career grade in Florida. Because we, we, you've got the stadiums in Ultima. We do have, have the stadiums. It. We do have the stadiums. We can they're all, we've got the right name, though, so I have no idea what any of these stadiums are. It's not that important. Do you know what Jacksonville Stadium is actually called? It used to be Altel. might be in there. Is Altel? No, I'm not. No, I'm we're not. not don't not dig it up right I'm now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying, here's a flaw in your system. You know, don't give me... Don't give me like corporate name stadium. Tell me what the hell it is. Miami Stadium, Jacksonville Stadium. I don't, don't give me this bank stadium. You mean it's harder to search? Yeah. All these things. I don't know what the hell those are. TIAA Bank Field? That's what it is, yeah. What yeah. the hell is that? That's it. That's Jacksonville Stadium? Yeah, that's the one. Look, we're, we're, we're as much corporate chill as anybody here, but I draw the line at banks. Just call, just use the team name? Yeah. What if they have different stadiums, though? What? Forget it. Anyway. So what are you looking for in this one, <laughs> in this game? I think it's going to be low scoring. Yeah, I think it probably will be. I mean, we're talking about two of the better defenses in the NFL against teams that don't have receivers. So yeah. 
that that adds up to a low scoring game generally. So the the Bucks won the Super Bowl in 2020. They beat the Packers that in the regular season handily, beat them in the NFC Championship. But because the Bucks didn't win the division that year, these two teams didn't play last year, right? So this isn't like, hey, we're going to see Bills Chiefs for the next 10 years because they're going to keep winning the division or whatever it is. They didn't play last year. So this is um, you know, it's a new defensive system in Green Bay. It's a new look there. Um, so Brady, it's it's kind of the um, the Rams tree or you know whatever the the Vic Fangio tree and all that stuff. And the Rams have given Brady and the Bucks a little bit of trouble offensively. So the I think the Packers are going to be solid defensively. Um, outside of a few bad coverage busts, really by their safeties in Week One, the Packers defense has been good. Mm-hmm. They're number one in the NFL in pressure rate through two weeks for whatever that's worth against the Vikings and against Justin Fields and the Bears on a small sample size, but. Packers D's looking good, and then the Bucks D's looking excellent through two weeks. So I think it's going to be a bit of a battle there. I'm also interested to see what are the Bucks going to do offensively. They've run, they have more runs against eight in the box than any team in the league. They are just going old school. Like we're just going to. I don't know if they're running it because they really came into this offseason saying we don't want to put everything on Tom Brady. We got to establish the run. I don't know if this is Todd Bowles putting his fingerprints on the team, or if it was. Uh, just the fact that they're so banged up at receiver I mean, and just, even on the offensive yeah. line that this is their way of protecting their pass game. That's what I think it is. They're, they don't have receivers. They don't have offensive linemen. What do you do when those are the two things that are issues? You run the ball more because it involves less of that. So I think that's the approach. So it might be another week of that, yeah. but against lighter boxes against Green Bay. Yeah. So there could be more success. That, that's the thing. Like The Bucks are running the ball into these eight-man boxes with – one of the lowest EPA per plays in the league. Very inefficient offense right now in Tampa Bay. Green Bay, one good game, one bad game. Not sure what to make of them offensively other than Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Looking like a pretty good one-two punch that might make make things difficult on opposing defenses. Yep. Um, I ultimately think Tampa Bay are still the better team. Yeah. And I'm leaning that they will cover a one-point spread. Oh, I'm agreeing with you there, too. I'm going to go Bucks. I think they'll find a way. I, I'm curious about Julio Jones the most here because i don't he he finished the game against the cowboys in week one he finished the game he was banged up but he came back in and finished the game and i thought he was going to play last week yeah and then he didn't so i don't know if this is that knee injury that it's like we'll try to work through we'll try to work through and every sunday he's he can't go it's gonna be so sad if you know we saw one glimpse of hey old julio's back he can be that guy again and then immediately ah no he's back to being hurt like even yeah. when he's on the field now, he's going to be hurt. It's not going to be the same guy. Like if that was our one glimpse that the, the, the dude is still there, it's just we we can't see it because he's injured all the time. I'm going to be so bummed out if he can. You know, if it was just okay, fine. He got injured. He's picked up a knee injury. We'll be out a week, and then we get that guy again. Awesome. But I'm going to be bummed if that that doesn't happen. Buck signed Cole Beasley this week as insurance. Which did they by, activate him or did they just sign? Him they the have not activated squad? him yet. He's on the practice squad. Todd Bowles. Basically said, yeah, we'll kind of see what kind of shape, see what kind of shape he's in. It was not exactly like, hey, he's he's ready to contribute. Um, he's definitely the kind of guy, though. That Brady, I saw somebody tweet that this is a reflection of essentially how little trust Brady has in Scotty Miller, which I would endorse. Scotty plays concept. a different role. I know Scottie he plays he, a different he plays role. a very different role, but I would endorse that as a as a theoretical concept in terms of. Scotty Miller right now is just not going to be a factor in this offense because Brady does not trust that he's going I to agree. be in the right place at the right time. And even if he is, that he's going to get the ball at the end of it. Or he might fall down. Yeah. So 
Brady wants. He wants a receiver he can trust. And right now, you can't trust Julio Jones because he's injured. You can't trust Scotty Miller because of everything. You can't trust Mike Evans because he's not there. Um, you can't trust Chris Godwin because he's not there. So you can't trust Brashad Perriman because he's Brashad Perriman. So you're like, you're out of receivers that you can trust. So you plug in Cole Beasley, and okay, he's got a very, um, he's a very specific player. He will do one thing for you very well, which is run that underneath route tree and get separation. But Brady knows where he'll be, and he knows yeah. that he will be open when he's there. That, I think, will have a lot of value to this offense. I honestly think that's what this offense is missing at the moment, too, with Chris Godwin hurt. They have nobody to work the middle of the field. There's no trustworthy tight end that works the middle. Even Cameron Brait is more of a yeah. perimeter type of tight end. So with Gronk out, gone. Chris Godwin out. There's no short passing game. There's no intermediate passing game. There's no middle of the field attack. So Cole Beasley, if he's in shape and does get activated, could actually be a factor here, um, especially against the Green Bay coverages that they like to play. So um, I'll say the Bucks figure it out and um, cover the one. So win by more than one, at mm-hmm. least here in this game. Um, we're going to get into Cardinals-Rams in a minute. But first, don't forget about our friends over at DraftKings. The NFL action is in full swing over at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Talking touchdowns, big plays, even bigger wins because new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Right now, for every leg you can add, you boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped up same game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets. It's download, yeah, download that app. <laughs> All you have to do is place a $5 bet on any football game. It's code PFF over at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. You're getting better and better at these. Listen. Listen. The text in the Google Doc Uh is at an inopportune size. (laughs) So that if you click anywhere on the Google Doc, the whole box that I'm reading. Yeah, jumps. Yeah. Uh Yes. Yeah, you got to change it. So I, I learned that the first time you weren't here, and I had to read those. This things. is where you miss a Connor Price, who used to who used to put this used to in resize there. it for you. Yeah, I mean Connor had the Google Doc at a perfect size. Now, I need to give this this feedback to uh, to Michael. It's not his fault. He doesn't know. I mean, or you I could this resize your own damn Google document. I don't know. I got to know what the size. I got to know what the perfect. We should text Connor and see what he did. Yeah, I can see what you know, you I'll work. check out old versions and see. You what can't handle like. that by yourself. No, you just figure out what the size is. You can read Let's the whole say. box. Let me change thirteen font here to. Uh... Changing the font, just change the percentage on the thing. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that for sure. We're the most professional podcast there is. You take the off-air stuff, you bring it on air. Yeah, just hash yeah. it out right here in public. Mm-hmm. Rams at Cardinals. Rams favored by three and a half here. A couple, a uh, couple one and one, NFC west teams what are you looking for in this one um, rams, rams were two and one right against the cardinals last year beat them in the playoffs divisional round this is Wild one of those round. games where i'm always kind of curious what their plan is for aaron donald you yeah. know which is you i mean it's one of the first things you look for any rams game is what is the opposition going to do on offense to make sure that aaron donald doesn't single-handedly ruin the game um and it's actually it's a compelling one when you look specifically at the Cardinals, because generally you sort of look at the quality of offensive linemen that they have and the splits that they take on the offensive line. You're like, this is a 
this is a game meant for Aaron Donald to just wreck shop. But it hasn't actually happened that much. Now, he's been a factor in the last few games, but not overwhelmingly so. You know, he's got like four sacks in the last four games. He's got 27 pressures, a 20% pass rush win rate. These are all very good, but his pass rushing grade is, quote-unquote, only 83, which is like 10 points lower than it usually is for Aaron Donald. So Cardinals do actually do a reasonable job, generally, of slowing down Aaron Donald, or at least making sure that he doesn't destroy the game on its own. But this is working directly against what we just saw last week, which is maybe the Cardinals and our, and Kyler Murray are at their best when you just let him run around, find plays, you know, ad-lib, just make something happen. You know, work sandlot football, forget the playbook, just find a play. That becomes a lot harder to do when Aaron Donald is there because, you know, it's one thing to kind of dance around the backfield when you know, Andrew Billings is there. It's like, <laughs> you know, 21 seconds he was running around to find that play, right? How long would he have to run for before Andrew Billings had any shot of catching him, right? <laughs> Just by accident, you know? That, those paths never cross. You're right. You know what I mean? So whereas there is a finite amount of time that you can run around and escape Aaron Donald for, he will get you eventually. Yeah, I mean, Arizona's just a tough one to figure out at this point, right? Three three quarters of their season has been pretty bad, has just been horrible. And then they make this comeback against the Raiders, which wasn't all Kyler Murray, just, you know, pulling broken plays out. But sure, yeah, it was a big chunk of it, pretty big chunk of it, right? Even the one touchdown that he threw, how the heck did that get through there? It was, it was kind of double coverage, but even just, um, it just snuck through for, for a touchdown. So it's like a fine line that got the Cardinals out of this 0-2 hole to get to 1-1. Um, so they feel like different teams. The Rams ran into the the bulldozer that is the Bills in week one. And then, yeah, they almost they almost blew it late against the Falcons. But they had some freak plays going the other way. And I wonder if that ends up becoming the difference in this is a couple freak plays here and there between the Rams and the Cardinals. They they had a good battle. They had good battles last year. The Rams beat the Cardinals handily in the playoffs. The number that stands out to me, though, that matches preseason perception is the Cardinals having the lowest pff coverage grade in the nfl so far this year and i don't know if they're gonna have answers for the rams in their passing attack i just don't know if they can if they can match up on the back end there so i think the rams are gonna have their way offensively yeah i i think this will be a game where the rams offense definitely matches up pretty well with arizona's defense um the question for me is the other side of the ball and whether arizona's uh offense can cook and have enough success and do well against that Rams defense which is you know shown some creaks um, and shown that you can get after and attack it I tend to to think that the most likely outcome there is that the Rams have a lot of success and the Cardinals can't quite keep pace but the other potentially equalizing factor here is a couple of weeks into the season Matthew Stafford has been turnover prone you know, Matthew Stafford has been more than willing to pitch the ball straight to the defense. Now, those are basically the only mistakes that he's making or that the offense, the passing game is making. It's like they complete everything until he throws the ball to the defense. There, there's very little, like, marginal misses here, you know, where he's just not completing a pass or the pass just doesn't work. It's like everything's going fine, and then randomly he'll just glitch and throw the ball to the defense. <laughs> but why is he doing that? Yeah, but, but those, those plays... 
like that can that those are those are series that the Cardinals get extra chances, you know, and that can immediately equalize the that gap that I'm talking about. Yeah, Stafford's tied for second in the league with um, with five turnover worthy plays, but he's fourth in completion percentage at seventy two point seven percent. Yeah. So yeah, not many passes are hitting the ground essentially with uh, Matthew Stafford. Five interceptions in there actually does lead the league. So. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a factor as well. If Stafford keeps throwing the ball to defense, especially in the end zone like he did the other uh, last week, he can't be having that. Also, the Rams are only – he's only averaging 6.6 yards per attempt. But that's where – that's where I think the high completion percentage is coming from. The Rams are doing a good job. And I, I know part of those numbers were a little garbage timey against the Bills where they were, they were playing catch-up against soft coverages. But the underneath stuff has been there for the Rams. I think the explosive plays show up more this week against the Cardinals. I think the Rams have a chance to really put a lot of points on the board. Yeah, I mean, pick your pick your favorite stat. He's way down on last year, you know, across the board. Like, pass rating is down 20-plus points. Yards per attempt, 6.6. This year it was 8.2 a year ago. Um, everything, essentially, is down across uh, in terms of the sort of overall production numbers. And do the Cardinals have the horses defensively to exploit the Rams' pass protection issues that they've had? Um and then you say, how much is that of that is just going up against the Bills in week one as well? So there's a lot of a lot of things to keep an eye on here. But I like the Rams, man. I know they're on the road, but favored and favored by three and a half. But I'll take the Rams to uh, put up a lot of points and cover this. Yeah, I think the Rams will cover as well. All right, Las Vegas Raiders at the Tennessee Titans battle of 0-2 teams. A couple playoff teams from last year. The, the Raiders are favored on the road by two and a half against the Tennessee Titans. Vegas is not buying into, not uh, Las Vegas, but the, the people, the man. The people. In Vegas. The man in Vegas. They're not buying into the Titans as a team that's good at all. I no. mean, this this feels like a pick from a couple teams that are, they're 0-2. I don't know that they're necessarily struggling. I mean, the Raiders are coming off a disastrous second half collapse, and they lost to the Chargers, who are probably a, a better team to them, than mm-hmm. them, right? I mean, it's not, I don't think the Raiders are horrible. No, um, the Titans have looked. They blew it against the Giants team. That's now two and zero, and then they got trashed by the Bills. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Tennessee's looks worse. We're, we're at the know? point where it's like, how how much do we hold against the people that got crushed by the Bills? But also, I mean, yeah, that so getting crushed by the Bills appears to be a standard operating procedure so far this season. But they lost to the Giants in Week One. Yeah, yeah, look, the Giants two and zero, but. They're two and zero because they beat the Titans in Week One, which wasn't supposed to happen. Like this, that was the biggest shock of Week One, and Tennessee dropped that game. And then, in what was you know, can they bounce back in Week Two against the Bills? Well, not only did they not bounce back, but they got absolutely wrecked. So I think it's fair to look at this Tennessee team and be like, oh, they're in trouble. Particularly now that Taylor Lewan, you know, is down injured, and all of a sudden, what was a an encouraging start to an offensive line that had potential problems going into the year. Is just back to being okay. There's some issues here again. We, Derrick Henry hasn't looked like Derrick Henry. We still don't trust any of the wide receivers to have a big day, um, and the defense isn't what it's been. They don't have any. You know, there's a lot of problems with this Tennessee team. We mentioned this a little bit on today's PFF NFL Daily, where we went around the league with some of the injuries, suspension news. Mike Evans, uh, Taylor Lewan is out for the season with the Titans, so we discussed that a bit. But Dennis Daly is going to be his replacement. The Titans have the lowest pass blocking grade in the league so far daly's never had a pass blocking grade above 47 so there could be some serious issues there in uh tennessee they they've they've created offense uh 
pretty well the last few years despite having a below average pass blocking offensive line they protect them as much as they can with play action and the derrick henry running attack and all that stuff they're one of those teams that's much better run blocking than pass blocking this year also backs that up they're number three in run blocking i feel like this is the game where the titans maybe get henry back on track and all that but what a huge narrative game this is it's either josh mcdaniels comes back remember what did he start last time in his head coaching debut six and oh josh mcdaniels could come back starting zero and three as the head coach of the raiders or mike vrabel who won coach of the year last year was it vrabel or uh, matt lafleur uh did vrabel win know. it or vrabel who i think is one of the best coaches in the nfl falls to vrabel zero and three last year's coach of the year there yeah. you go falls to zero and three this is a massive game between these two teams yeah i mean whoever loses this game is dead I mean, it's it's three games into the season. That seems like knee jerk reaction, but you can't. I mean, whatever about <laughs> is this the beached will bowl? Oh, there, that's a good point. So whatever about you know the the record of teams that have started zero and two making the playoffs. If, if you're going zero and three, you're boned. Now, well, I mean, if no one zero and two's ever made the playoffs, then no one zero and three's ever made the playoffs in the seventeen game era I mean, of one season. You really can't fall that logic. Um, the Raiders obviously are in even more trouble because that division is just a nightmare. The Titans. Okay, the, the, the how hard can it be, AFC South? Theoretically, 0-3 might not actually kill you in that division. You might still be able to crawl your way out of that hole. But in all reality, even if, I mean, even if they somehow rescued the season and made the playoffs, like they're getting annihilated by the first team they meet there. Uh, dead whale game, good call. Somebody emailed in to NFLpodcast at pff.com. Jeremy Guida, who said which teams are the beach whale teams this year and for anyone that's new or you know hasn't been a long time listener one of the best analogies we ever used on this podcast was years ago back when atlanta was on the way down after their super bowl season um we described them or i described them as you know you see those beach whales that wash up on the shore every now and again start to decompose on the beach you know this giant leviathan just slowly rotting getting filled with gas and then eventually the story becomes you know somebody that's it's all explosive noxious gas right somebody prods it with a stick and boom the whole thing blows up and it's just rotting whale meat flying through the air as far as the eye can see so in order for a team to qualify as a beached whale type of team you need to have once been you know a gargantuan leviathan of the seas you know and a lot of teams just suck so they're not that but tennessee we are talking about last year's number one seed in the AFC, a leviathan of the AFC last year, a giant, kind of. you know, king of the seas. They, they look like they stink now, but maybe they're good enough for one game where they explode and destroy the Raiders. See, I, I think whoever loses this becomes the, the, the dead whale. Oh, okay. They're both so potentially this, good. This, this is the game where it happens. This is the game that just sets the stage for one of them to become that. Yeah. Okay. This is just further rotting. Yeah. Is what you're saying because like one of these teams is going to be sitting there in week seven. They got like two wins, yeah. and then they beat the Chiefs. Or I can see. You yeah. Know, that's what. That's what I think. Either way, I think Tennessee is a live bet to be the beach whale. But didn't we think this was what this is? What's going to happen in the AFC? I don't think either of these teams is bad. I think Tennessee, Tennessee might be. Tennessee bad. could be worse than I thought. Yeah. Um, I think they bounce back though. Home do- I'm finally going to take a home dog here. By the uh, way, Tennessee's going to bounce back. I don't feel good about Vegas going 0-3, but Tennessee's going to cover this 2.5 and, and bounce back. You're ne- but the one place we are wrong, though, you are never dead in the AFC South. 
<laughs> you cannot be dead. Like who? Oh, Tennessee is zero three. Oh no, they can't bounce back in the AFC South. What if Jacksonville? They're going to be wins? a half game out of first at zero and three. <laughs> what if Jacksonville wins again? Take a commanding two and one lead in the division. Well, then, then it's um, then it's looking bad. One point, by the way. So yeah, look, I, I think the Titans might end might be a bad team this year. Um, one thing that's and you're right. I think to highlight the fact that the Raiders have lost. You know, a heartbreaker against Arizona, who still might not be terrible, and then against the Chargers, who look pretty good. Um, but the real difference this year from last season is Derek Carr has one big-time throw through two games. Last year, through two games, he had nine. Like, Derek Carr led the league in big-time throws for the majority of the season last year and had one of the highest rates in the NFL. Right now, he's not showing up at all. Like, we said, okay— the good news about week one, losing to the Chargers, is like Derek Carr played like crap. He turned the ball over a bunch. It was awful. That's not going to happen again. And, okay, he didn't throw a, He didn't have a ton of turnover-worthy plays. It wasn't the same, but he was much better last week. So Derek Carr right now is a great under 50. You know what I think Derek Carr needs? And I know, look, Henry, Henry Ruggs was a part of the team early last season before his incident that he's now in jail for. Um Derek Carr, and then, you know, in 2020, uh, 2020 Nelson Aguilar was his yeah. designated deep threat. I think he just needs somebody that is like his designated deep threat. Why can't that be Devontae Adams? Because Devontae Adams is, is everything else, yeah. right? He's this high-volume guy. He can win short, intermediate, deep. I'm saying Nelson Aguilar in 2020 pretty much only won down the field. Henry Ruggs was the guy that... They were trying to feature him a little bit because he was a first-round pick. He's crazy fast, and they had dialed-up plays to get the ball to Henry Ruggs. And I'm not in, but it, I'm not saying every pass went to Ruggs, but it, he did open up the field. I think the Raiders probably need a more designated deep threat to extract some more of that aggressiveness out of Derek Carr. That's why he had so many big-time throws last year, even the last two years. His big-time throw rate it, it doubled from 19 to 20. And it was up in a similar range in 21. Carr needs to create those chunk plays for this offense. But I, I, I feel like there's too much of this possession-y type of focus with Darren Waller, with Devontae Adams, with Hunter Renfro, and there's not enough down. Let Matt Collins be the, the deep threat here. I mean, I just think if you can't manufacture a deep threat on, on the field in any given play with the, that collection of receivers, I, I don't understand what you're doing. Like, yeah, sure, you don't want – Devontae Adams is so much more than a designated deep threat, but he has that skill set. Like, if Devontae Adams can't – can't manipulate a defense with his gravitational pull to let you hit something else without throwing the ball to a defender. Well, what are we doing here? Yeah. So, I mean, Derek Carr right now has one big-time throw and six turnover-worthy plays through two games. That's Stop catastrophic. Chucking. Stop chucking it down the field, man. That's among the worst, the worst sort of ratios in that regard in the NFL after you got the, the best receiver in the NFL. That, those things should not add up. So, I mean, the bottom line with all this is Derek Carr needs to pull his head out of his ass and start playing better. So, who you got in this one? The Raiders. Oh, so he's going to do it? <laughs> this is the week? I'll take Tennessee. I mean, I just don't think it's reasonable that we're going to see Derek Carr playing this badly for this period of time. Give me the Titans to bounce back. Our newest sponsor is revolutionizing the world of sports betting and fan engagement by making sports fandom profitable. That company is Symbol, the stock market for sports teams. Symbol was a PFF sponsor last year. They're back. 
again this football season symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your team when your teams win symbol took the, the thrill of sports betting and turned it into the stock market to give you a platform where you can buy and sell sports teams and profit from your sports knowledge here's another uh, analogy right there the uh, like the raiders and the titans you know stock way down oh yeah buy we're, low. Looking at, we're looking at collapsing crypto right here that's what those two things are it's bitcoin and ethereum buy the dip over at symbol the mobile app uh, get the mobile app for ios by searching s-i-m-b-u-l-l in the app store and use code football to receive a free team stock valued up to 150 dollars upon signing up whether you want to invest in an up-and-coming team like the chargers the goat and tom brady in the bucks or the new top dog in the buffalo bills symbol allows you to buy and sell team stocks based on who you think is on the rise create a free account enter code football to get a free stock valued up to 150 dollars and start making money off your sports knowledge right now today all right where are we going next here detroit lions at the minnesota vikings another battle of one and one teams they're all uh, they're all tied for first in the afc north everybody's one and one nfc Couple north. divisions that's true for one and one across the board yeah it's not in the afc south no one and one is right. a commanding first place lead in the, a, in the AFC South. Uh, but the Lions coming off a big win against the Commanders and the yeah. Vikings coming off of a monstrous loss. The NFC the West is also all one-on-one. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. Proud of them. Is the North as well? The North might be as well. This, that's what I just said, the AFC. Oh, you, no, the AFC North. Oh, the AFC North. There's at least... Off the top of my head. There's maybe three. No, the Bengals are on two. Oh, that's true. Yeah, 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 okay. There's at least two divisions that are one-on-one across the board. So anyway. this game, the Lions... Reading this right, the Lions are favored on the road. Yeah, so this line has moved. By one. Um, at one Since point, what, it was at least Green one line. and a half, maybe two and a half Minnesota favored. But what I've learned in my tutelage of betting under under the, the DGen Doctor Eric Eager um, is that the the difference, even though it's a lot of points, the difference between plus three one way and minus three the other way is negligible. You know. So this have, you have the wrong line in here. I didn't have the wrong. It's moved to what? six. Minnesota by six. Minnesota by six. Yeah, you, you copied and pasted wrong. I know. I didn't because I, I saw it was screwy and looked at it again. I'm going to go back to the PFF app and see what it is now. The app would never be wrong. By the way, we have an app. Go download it. App Store. We have an app. You should download it. It will give you lines. It's certainly not wrong. It's got minus six. I'm sure. It doesn't. You're just less... calling out the app here. Huh? You're just calling out the app. Yeah. Well, I just I dialed it up. That's what it's telling me. Why don't you tell somebody? <laughs> Green lines at six. Green lines at six. And that's not. Huh. Well, that could be problematic because that's what I've used all the great all the. Because if it was for. one, I'm like, yeah, give me Minnesota at one. But uh, six now Vikings by a touchdown. That's a different story. Yes, that's what, a dramatically different story. What do you make of this Vikings team? Is it this other? Is it going to be this roller it was coaster definitely ride? Definitely significantly closer than that. Because earlier somebody was at, like, I was on a radio hit where they were asking me, hey, this is like two and a half or something in Minnesota. Did everybody in the Lions get hurt? Are Detroit, you know, live underdogs or whatever? Maybe they were using the app too. Hmm. Anyway. Anyway, what was the question? Minus six. Vikings, what are you looking for in this one? Uh, what do you make of the Vikings was really my question. What do you make of the Vikings? Week one, <laughs> pretty much dominant stra- uh, start to finish against the Packers. Against the Packers. Week two, dominated by the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts, if you take out negated plays, Jalen Hurts was like 31 for 35. I know you can't do that. I'm just saying this was – they were just allowing completion after completion after completion. And uh, the Eagles just had answers for everything the Vikings threw at them defensively. Kirk Cousins 
did not handle the blitz very well. Kept throwing the ball up to Darius Slay. So what do you make of this Vikings team through two weeks? I mean, the inevitable answer to that is they look the same as they always look. You know? Mediocrity. Yeah. Like, they're... This is the Vikings. This is what they've been for the last number of years, and this is why they decided to fire their head coach and GM. And in week one, it looked like, hey, that might actually take them in a different direction. You know, look at that. Look at all those plays. Look at the way they're featuring um, Justin Jefferson, and this is all great. And then week two, it's like, no, actually, it's kind of back to the same, you know. Like, the problems are still the problems. The offensive line is not good enough to hold up against a really good defensive front. Philadelphia pretty much wrecked them Kirk Cousins was disastrous under pressure he was really good the first week I mean these are these are the inevitable swings and roundabouts of a team that is somewhere in the reasonable to mediocre range which is you know where Minnesota lie and on the other side you've got Detroit 71 points that's now tied for second because of the Bills highest scoring teams in the NFL Buffalo Bills 72 Kansas City Chiefs 71 Detroit Lions 71 as expected yes so the lions are and that's not all offense right it's not all just because of the offense but they're creating some big plays offensively creating some big plays in the run game they had how many 15 20 yard plus gains did they have the other day against washington um i don't know how much credit you give them in week one against philly they were down a lot and they started to come back but they're doing some nice nice things in detroit and it's and it's before even having their full slate of playmakers back. Amonra St. Brown just really looking great at receiver. So um, my question here, can Jared Goff play the same kind of patient game that a Jalen Hurts played the other night? Because Jalen Hurts just took everything that was available underneath. The Eagles did a great job of scheming it up. Took everything that was underneath Hurts, and then when there's a busted coverage or whatever it might be, gets, gets the ball down the field when he needed to. Can Goff do the same thing? I mean, I think this Lions offense is explosive right now. They have one of the best offensive lines in the league, particularly in the run game. Um, they've got some personnel issues inside, but it hasn't been a massive problem so far. Um, Skip, you know, Skip playing well in his first uh, first NFL game. Logan Stenberg as a pass blocker Skip. has been a liability. That's what he called him. Skip. Skip. You know, come up and say your thing. Um like Logan Stenberg has been a, a, a liability as a pass blocker, but he's had had pretty good plays in the run game. So like they they're averaging something like four point seven yards per carry before contact. Yeah, like they are opening some holes so far in the first two weeks. Um, Amonras and Brown looks fantastic. They've left some plays out there as well in terms of Jared Goff, you know, missing uh, targets. This is a team. I mean, they they put up a ton of points in the first couple of games and this is going back to last year as well this is an explosive offense that can score points on a vikings defense that yeah it's better than last year but it's not like it's amazing i mean we saw that last week they can be lit up so i like detroit to put up some real points and then the question is where does minnesota's offense you know land this week does it split the difference between week one and week two are they closer to week one are they closer to week two minnesota's coming in with that um we always talk about the two four six defense, the two high shell. You get two high safeties. You play cover two, quarters, cover six, which is a combination of the two. That usually leaves some of the underneath stuff open. Um, last year, the Eagles played a similar style, and they kept giving up all those completions, right, where we talked about. I don't know if some of the those schemes, those systems have this learning curve 
of playing too soft, allowing too much underneath, and they have to start, you know, coming down and challenging offenses a little bit more. Because Minnesota was good in week one. Like, Rodgers and the Packers couldn't do anything. But week two was a disaster. So I, I feel like they might be trying to find that balance of how aggressive do they want to be in Minnesota versus um, how much do they want to, you know, let, make teams earn it by just making good decision after good decision on the, on the underneath stuff. I think Minnesota makes an adjustment this week. But I don't know if that's enough. I mean, it's one of those depends on the spread. I would have taken Minnesota if it was one. I'm going to take the Lions, though. Getting the six here. Yeah, I I mean, I kind of like this. I like the Lions sort of the whole way in this. I think they could actually win this game outright. Um, and certainly at oh, minus six for Minnesota. This is, this is going to be the Vikings everywhere. This is going to be. Yeah. yeah. They bring it up and they bring it down. They bring it up and you just got to go the opposite Which of what they the just same did. same as last week. You might have to go the opposite year. of what. Maybe I should take Minnesota. Should I take Minnesota? Again, the opposite of last week. Just a reminder of what they did last season. You know, they won. They, didn't, they, they lost their opening two, then they won a game, then they lost a game, then they won two, then they lost two, then they won two, then they lost two, then they won two, then they lost two, then they won one. Like, they are the definition. Yeah, Minnesota's winning of, this game. Yeah, Minnesota. In, like, right down the middle average. Minnesota's going to... Oh, six points, though, Sam. <laughs> That's a lot of points. All right, give me Minnesota. I'm talking myself back into this. This is going to determine like our end of the season right here. This this flip that I just made here. Okay. Uh, Baltimore Ravens at the New England Patriots. The Ravens are favored by three on the road. Lamar Jackson, um, I don't think he's questionable or anything, but he had the arm sleeve. Yeah. Had an arm sleeve. And wasn't throwing. Wasn't throwing. So I don't know what's going on with his arm right there. Uh, this, is, uh, this doesn't always happen. There's always a few teams who haven't played at home yet. The New England Patriots playing their first home game here in week three i'm sure that was all the problems i think that's a factor i think that stuff's a factor i meant the bucks i should have mentioned for too the bucks are playing their first home game here because because our perception of a team look teams play worse on the road overall right and our perception of teams is only two weeks old with a bunch of with our priors and all that stuff and teams play better at home so i think it affects it affects two-week perception when you haven't played at home yet. I think New England, they play much better at home. Yeah. That'll be a factor. It's going to be a tough game. I, Patriots home dogs here. Yeah. They don't I know it's it. not Brady and Belichick, but it's, uh, you know, it's not a common thing. Yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't look good at the moment at all. If you go back, I mean, Mac Jones has an interesting career so far because he definitely had some games where he played very well last year. A lot of the games were more was put on max plate he did not perform very well and if you go back to about week 11 or 12 last week last year it's like a 60 overall grade yeah which is right in the same bucket as trevor lawrence and zach wilson and i mean it's better than zach wilson but it's in that davis mills zach it's, it's in the same bucket as those other rookies but mac had some previous games where he was very good early as a rookie so when you look at the totality of mac jones in the nfl it's well above the other rookies so I don't know what to do with that because, you know, when you take out games and stuff, you're losing data points. My point, though, is if it feels like Mac Jones hasn't played as well in his last 8, 10, 12 games, whatever that is, yeah. it's, it's true. After week 10 last year, he basically had one good game, and that came against Jacksonville. Um, yeah. And that and extending into this it, season. And that's where I think the Patriots are a misleading team. They had um, – do you have last year's games in front of you? Yeah. Right there? Because they beat Jacksonville by a million – they beat the Jets by a million twice, right? The Patriots had this knack last year, 
where every few weeks they would flash back to old school Patriots where it was like, we're better than this team and we're going to be better by a million, right? We're going to, we're going to put up 40, 50 points on these teams. But how much did that skew the overall perception? Because then, you know, when they play the Bills, it's not there. Or when they play a better team, they played the Dolphins, they couldn't beat them. Um, so how much does that skew? Are they too top-heavy against, you know, lesser teams? Yeah, I mean, they, they lost four of their last five games, including that wild-card defeat um, with the only win being a 50-10 to 10 victory against Jackson. They put up 50 twice last year. Yeah, 54-13 right? against the Jets. They also had a 45-7 in there against Cleveland. The lines moved since I said it at three. It's two and a half now. Yeah. So moving in New England's favor here. Well, I went and checked. We we went and checked myself and Tyler with the uh, the other line since the app was giving us a weird line for the uh, the Lions. That's good. That's Vikings good to update. It. Um. So I think I think New England's going to play better this week than they've played. The offense has not looked great, but they started slow last year as well, and they started to figure it out. I think they'll play better how do the Ravens bounce back after blowing that lead as much as we've talked about the Dolphins and they've earned it the Ravens also and they were on the receiving end of that comeback yeah um I mean that's not good anytime you blow the largest lead in the last 12 years I still tend to confirm that are you sure that's right I heard it on the tv why would they lie to me fair point it's what you gotta ask yourself yeah you know no one would no so therefore it, it happened you know it's like I saw a video the other day that was Carl Sagan talking about how the ancient Greeks, you know, worked out that the earth was around 2,000 years ago. You know, whereas now you just Google, you know, Google tells you stuff, right? Yeah. You, it's amazing what you could work out when you didn't have Google to just ask, right? Somebody tells me something, I don't fact check it, I assume it's correct, you know? Oh, yeah, that's pretty safe. Somebody read it out, it sounded right. Today's landscape, I think it's very safe so to I'm just in. do that. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, I tend to work on the basis that there are more good than bad things to come out of that game for Baltimore. Their offense was doing really well, moving the ball at will against what should be a reasonable Miami defense. Um, they put up a ton of points. Lamar did Lamar stuff. And then, yeah, they found a way of collapsing down the stretch, losing track of one of the most dynamic playmakers in the NFL multiple times to let a couple of big scores go out the window and the game go with it. New England doesn't have those things. Like New England doesn't have Tyreek Hill. If Baltimore was able to put up points against New England, what are the Patriots going to do in response? Run the ball some more? Oh, no. Like, unleash Mac Jones? <gasps> like, you know what I mean? Just, the same wow. thing is not going to happen. Yeah, but they're probably not going to get up that many points either. Really? Because there's nothing to say that New England's defense is particularly imposing. I mean, they have they slow down Pittsburgh? The Patriots did a pretty good job against the Dolphins in week one. The Patriots have given up 34 points in two weeks. One of, one of the teams was the Dolphins who just put up... 42 against the Ravens. Right, but we also said that's like... They the held high... the Dolphins... Listen, they held the Dolphins to 13 points on yeah. offense. In the first game that that offense has ever played together. Okay, well, in the second game, seven days later, they scored 42. Yeah, because one team forgot about one of the most dangerous playmakers Yeah, the, the team the Patriots are playing right now. Yeah, but again, Patriots don't have one of those. You could, you could forget the Patriots about... Patriots defense has given up 13 and a half points per game. They gave up seven on a strip sack. So through two weeks, if you're like, oh, the Patriots' defense has been terrible, that's just not true. I didn't say it had been terrible. I said it's not like they gave up – they've given up 13 points a game, one against a team that was playing their first ever game collected together with this offense, and two against a Mitchell Trubisky-led Steelers offense. Like how, how impressive is that? Yeah. Well, anyway, are you concerned about the Ravens' run game? 
No. They're number 23 in run blocking grade, second lowest run grade. I know there's fumbles in there. We talked about that. But they used to be able to, you know, sleepwalk and create five yards per carry Mm -hmm. for any running back. So we thought that is not the case this year. Are there any concerns with that? There had been times over the last couple of years where it's like maybe they're morphing into more of a passing game. Maybe they're team. Maybe they're putting more on Lamar's plate. Maybe they're going to become more of a pass-first team. Maybe they're practicing it more in lesser games because they know that's what they need to do. You've got Kenyon Drake averaging 2.3 per carry. Mike Davis, 2.1. Justice Hill, 3.8. They're not running the ball well at all, even though they're putting points up on the board. Yeah, but then Lamar's averaging 9.1, albeit skewed by the 80-yarder. And a 79-yarder. I think ultimately the threat is still there, which is what matters. Like Lamar Jackson creates a threat to run the ball, whether or not they're actually efficient and effective running the ball, which opens up the pass game. So... Yeah, it would be great. It would be better for them if they were averaging six yards per carry from all their running backs and trucking away. But the threat of the run game is more important than the run game. Is that enough? Think uh, that's yes. enough? Yes, I do. All right. Sounds like you're going Baltimore in this I one. <sighs> Give me New England to keep it close. It's two and a half? Yeah. Man, I do like Baltimore as a better team. <laughs> Give me New England at home. Home factor, man. They're going to play them tough. Um, One thing to keep an eye on, when New England plays, you know, scrambling-type quarterbacks, they like to condense the pocket. They like to, you know, not lose their rush lanes and everything. They're going to do whatever they can to make Lamar win from the pocket, not let him escape as much as they can. They've done a decent job at that in the past, I think, but see what happens one random thing to mention for this game. Dietrich Wise is going to set, like, a career high in snaps by, like, week five. What's he at right now? Like 100. Wow. Yeah, because he's been a part-time player. Yeah. Most of his career. Not, not this year, he hasn't. That's a good nugget. That's a good nugget there, Sam. Week Hunter. five was an exaggeration because he's got like a 500 snap season in yeah, there somewhere. Yeah, but that's good. But it's good to get those nuggets is, in there. He is. He's changed from a situational player to a full-time guy for them and is going to have, like barring injury, that dude will have a career high quite early on. San Francisco 49ers at the Denver Broncos. Oh, boy. Sunday night football. You've got the Niners on the road, favored by one and a half. There's a lot of home underdogs this week, right? Like way more than usual. You seeing that? I take your word for it. You read it aloud to me. I assume you're, you're correct. Dolphins, Cardinals, Titans, Patriots, Broncos, Commanders, Colts, and Panthers, and Jets. It's a lot. Hmm. A lot of home underdogs this week. So the Broncos, a home underdog with Russell Wilson under center, (laughs) despite a grade under 60. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, there's a lot to unpack here with with Denver. I see your notes. So go go into Denver, and then I'll talk Russ here in a minute. I mean, Denver right now is, you know, car crash, must-watch, compelling, can't-look-away TV. It's a disaster. In every capacity on offense right now, which is fascinating to watch. And now it's on prime time. Baby. Yeah, so I'm all for it. Like, are the crowd going to keep chanting down the play clock to help them out? Are, is everybody on the sideline going to be yelling, pass, you know, every time they drop back? Somebody, by the way, suggested... That's my we, question. I think the crowd's going to do it. They're absolutely going to be yelling, run, pass. Somebody suggested we stick a helmet on you and then yell, run and pass in the studio and see if you can pick up the difference. 
You know, try it out for yourself. We don't need to. This doesn't need to be a secondhand information thing. We well, do I need it right to do it. No, you need to do it in a crowd of seventy thousand. No, you were just wondering if the sounds are particularly different. You just par- put what a helmet think? on. Put the PFF helmet on over there. Oh, oh. And then Tyler can yell in from the from the door over there. Run or pass, and see if you can pick it up. <sighs> I'm just saying that when you, uh, I'm not going to make baseball analogies. I'm not going to do it. No. I'm just so in baseball. Yeah, you tried to change your cadence a little bit when there when it's like a one or the other thing. Yeah. So like if the ball's up in the air, the rule was you say I, I got it, I got it, or take it, take it. Right. It's just it's it's a, it's like a different it's a different cadence. And then like a third base coach, if he's telling a guy to go, you want it, it's like go or stop. You don't want to say go or no. It's well, either. Obviously. You don't it's, like, say, it's like yes, yes, yes. But that's the thing, right? You don't want to say two things that sound the same. Yeah, but you, you can say, say go, but you could say like, you got to go, you got to go, or no, no, no. It's, and it's, even if it's the same sound, it's a different cadence. Yeah, but the reason it's a problem is because the two things sound the same. If you're saying two things that are the same number of syllables, but they're very different sounds, it's not an issue. I, I just need to hear it. I would need to hear it. The, we'll practice it. We'll practice it later. On with the helmet. So how we go viral? Yeah, probably. Also, well, how else we go viral? Uh, what else? See? Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. Smash the uh, the thumbs up. That's how you go viral. Tyler in the Thank studio you. knows. You Only 52 own... likes? That should be like 1,000. You're forgetting your own promos. It's 402 people watching right now. We should have 402 likes right now. I don't care you if you're driving, about? watching. Just get the thumbs up. Hit that thumbs up button for yeah. us. <laughs> like that bu- Like that. Uh, like this podcast. What okay. Were we talking about do you want to put the helmet on? I already know what run and pass sounds like. You need to put the helmet on. All right. Well, we're going to hear on Sunday night because the crowd's going to be yelling. Can you even get your melon into that thing? No, I'm not trying. <laughs> oh, we got the logo. Who put the logo on? I, I don't know. Not me. Is it supposed to be at a... Uh... I think the angle's okay. I mean, the, the, what? you criticize the size, maybe. Who? <laughs> it's sloping... Yeah, it's like, you know, it's... it's Did you uh, put that on? No, I didn't put it on. Why would I put the sticker on the helmet? On. I don't want to offend anyone. It looks great. <laughs> <laughs> looks great. <laughs> I think you should put the helmet on. No, because I'm, I'm dressed for, uh, you know, half my body podcast, you know? What? Just, <laughs> I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up and walking back there to get... The, I'm just wearing shorts. I'm wearing shorts. Okay. Can we get to the game, please? We got a lot of people waiting for us to talk about the game. We're trying to get these things done in under two hours, and this is the longest we've ever had. I'm wearing pants. I'm wearing shorts. I'm wearing shorts. It, I mean, it didn't sound like it. Like, I'm wearing shorts, and I don't have a problem. I understand. It sounded misleading the way I said you know? it. Look, if you're looking for in-depth Saints-Panthers analysis later, we're probably not going to get there. Or like Texans-Bears, we might not. we might uh, not go into great detail. Let's go. 49ers and Broncos. I, the Broncos are the underdog at home here? Yeah, because they can't call a play without screwing up. Oh, man. The whole crowd's going to yell, run pass. <laughs> and they're going to count down the play clock. I mean, it's going to so be many, high comedy. There's so many reasons to watch this for comedy effect, you know. And leave, leaving aside the delay of game and the run pass and the counting down the play clock and all this kind of stuff – is that anytime they get anywhere near the red zone, they just have a conniption and can't generate any kind of yardage. Like, their, their goal line play calling has been some of the most absurd stuff you're ever going to see. 
Super they're setting Bowl. records for like futility of scoring from the one yard line and these kinds of things. Like Denver's offense is a is a mess. Yeah, that's tough to maintain. I mean, it's tough. I mean, that that has to change at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, you can't possibly be that bad at getting a yard. Get it up there to Cortland Sutton. Let him go make a play. The, um, the, the goal line fade is your solution to their problems. Yeah, because that at least hits thirty five percent of the time. <laughs> you know, you've fallen so far. When the thing about the goal line fade is, it works better if you do have better. If like Brady to Mike Evans is not a thirty three percent proposition. It's probably seventy. Like if you get the right combination, it is better. Seventy. I'll look it up. Seventy feels high. Brady to Evans. Yeah. Yeah, if you include f- fades and back shoulders, those are the uh-huh. same, right? I'll look that up in a minute. It's yeah, the same. You can do that. Mm-hmm. Because you throw the back shoulder off the fade call. Like, you're running a fade, and then you adjust mid. It's, it's the same thing. Uh-huh. Same play call. All right, Sertan, questionable. Jerry Judy, questionable. Russ is grading under 60. And just like we used the, the Mac Jones example, are you looking up Brady to Evans? No, I'm looking okay. up what the Judy injury ended up being. Like as Ribs. A, as a sort of final Ribs. prognosis. Oh, man, I need to smoke some ribs again soon. Really good. Anyway, um, we're going off the rails here. Yeah. If we're going to do this Mac Jones game and like, hey, if you go back to last year, Russ, if you go back to last year, grade's terrible. If you go back to the middle, I mean, compared to what he's been. (laughs) If you go back to the middle of 2020, Russell Wilson is like QB 24. He's also getting. 20 to 24 in the NFL. Dude's just catching strays everywhere now. Like. K.J. Wright, we already talked about. K.J. Wright was in on Richard Sherman's podcast, and the two of them just had a let's light Russ on fire session. Poor dude's taking strays everywhere. They were just saying Pete Carroll wasn't keeping him accountable. Yeah. Is Nathaniel Hackett keeping Russell Wilson accountable? I mean, not if he's letting him have his own office. and you know, Russ is keeping everyone else accountable by making sure they're yelling run pass on the sideline. Russ is accountable to himself. Russ is keeping Russ accountable. Oh, man, I think Mr. the Broncos bounce back in this what one. That, why do I always – what's his thing? The Mr. – what's his nick, self-given nickname? Mr. Un, un, something, yeah. Yeah. Unlimited. There you go. See, we need to get Tyler a microphone. So yeah, Tyler, come, come hang out on the show with Mr. us. Mr. Unlimited is keeping Russell Wilson accountable. Well, you can't, can't mess with that. <laughs> There's no way that could go wrong. <laughs> Russell Wilson's a better quarterback against versus Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Uh, oh, hesitation. I don't know that that's true right now. So, like, maybe in abstract terms, like in the same system with everything working fine, yes. He certainly has more talent and ability. But Russell Wilson in Denver yeah, but versus Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco, maybe not. Russell Wilson in this, like, Banjax one-man band equipment, you know, just not working. Like, versus Jimmy Garoppolo in Kyle Shanahan's offense where everything is going fine. No, right? I don't know. Russ, big-time throw to, to win the game in the fourth quarter. It was old-school, ugly for much of the game. It's not like he's never done that before. But we are going through multiple seasons now of Russell Wilson. He's coming off his, his lowest-graded season, worst stretch of play, second half of 2020, not great. Probably some concerns there. Yeah, and look, I, it's, it's I fair to— I think Russ and the Broncos' offense, you also you have to give them a, a little bit of a pass, Right. You've got this guy who's been in the same offensive system basically for 10 years, and then he goes to a new place and everything. Like, we were giving Brady that pass a little bit a couple years ago, right? Don't, isn't that a part of this whole thing? Russell Wilson's still really talented. I think, he'll, I think he'll bounce back Sunday night. He is really talented, and it's also fair to point out that a lot of last year's struggles 
were because he had injured. Like no, had, I don't. I don't. I don't buy that part of it. I really don't. I think what part is not to buy? I think about four weeks after that finger injury, after he came back from that, he was fine. Like he, he was, came back, and he clearly wasn't right when he came back. Like initially, yes. There was a couple games where I think it still lingered. He came back. In then week there was 10. a point where it probably didn't linger anymore. He came back in week ten, had a grade of twenty nine. Yeah, that affects had things. Three turnover worthy plays. He looked like crap when he came back. That affects things. Yeah. And then I think it took him a couple of weeks to work out. Then by week fourteen, he put up a ninety grade against the Houston Texans. Right. Now then the following week, he played like crap against the Rams. That's what I'm saying. That one I think is fair to say. Yeah. Okay. That's just Russell Wilson playing bad. Um, but. I, I think you have to say that the injury last season definitely factored into his bad play. Niners are still going to create good offense with Jimmy G. I think it's going to be a matter of how often he throws the ball to the defense. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's it. Did you see the, the uh, video of I, – I don't, okay, I don't know what prompted it, but it was obviously some kind of positive play from Jimmy G or the 49ers offense generally – and he, I think, had wound up on the floor at the end of this play. And the entire offense is basically, like, picking him up, clapping him on the shoulders. Like, it's like a sort of giant celebratory huddle. They love Jimmy G. They don't love Trey Lance. Did you only see this video because narratives are trying to be created here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it, it, but it matches my prior narrative, which means I'm willing to embrace it and run with it. So where are you going in this game with the team that loves Jimmy G versus the team that, you know, the quarterback wants him to yell run pass um i'm always going to go with the team that can actually call a play before the end of the play clock oh my gosh dude the 49ers heck it's going to be your punching bag i mean come on all season isn't it don't act like that's unreasonable we've got a coach here who can't get the play in before the t- before you need to get the ball snapped and yeah. on go like third and short is calling tight end runs to the flat in like a speed option. But you have the crowd helping now. They weren't helping initially. <laughs> you think that the uh, the crowd chanting the play clock down is a good thing in this scenario? Yeah, yeah. It helps. I mean, I agree. It and I think helps. because of the crowd, Denver's going to win, going to cover this thing one and a half. Imagine if they get zero, zero delay game penalties this week because the crowd is chanting the play clock every game it's or every snap. We need the crowd in our grades. That would be incredible. I can't. I mean, look, <laughs> it's not all bad and it's probably not all Hackett, but ultimately he's in charge right now of a team that looks horrifically underprepared and incapable of executing the basics correctly and that's just not a good starting point to pick a team from so you go niners yeah all right all right we're halfway through well that got off the rails hard really badly yeah listen um we might need to work quicker through some of these other games don't be offended just don't be offended we'll give you some takes though Philadelphia Eagles at the Washington Commanders. The Eagles are favored by six and a half here on the road against one and one Washington. One and one. Eagles two and oh, looking great. Can you buy into the look? I know you were hyping up the Eagles before the season. Is this one of those like in 2017? The Eagles looked good right off the bat, and it, and it, people didn't expect them to be a Super Bowl team that year. Mm-hmm. But by week two or three, it's like, oh, this feels like a potential Super Bowl team. Other times teams go 2-0 and and 3-0 and that, that doesn't feel like that or even if it does it's like it's tough to sustain is this like the 2017 Eagles team where you see it immediately and it's legit it's real 
Or is Jalen Hurts, who's our number two graded quarterback right now, is he going to come back down to earth? Are they going to come back down to earth in Philadelphia? Or is it really all of these moves that they made this offseason that we liked? We're good. We're right. And they, and they have hit. And this is 2017 all over again. The Eagles are right there in the NFC. Um, By the way, you could probably put the Rams in this bucket last year, right? Through a couple weeks, it was like, all right, the Stafford thing is working. They're probably a Super Bowl they're in the mix when it comes to the Super Bowl. Well, the thing with the Rams last year is it was like, okay, this is cooking. Stafford obviously opens up areas that are different from Jared Goff and makes the entire offense more potent. But we always knew that Stafford had the ability to go on a run where you got bad end, Matthew Stafford. And it was kind of like, well, let's, let's just wait and see if that comes back. Yeah. I think it's a similar story with Jalen Hurts, where right now he's the second best graded quarterback in the nfl after josh allen he's got the highest passing grade of any quarterback in the nfl and that is something you would not expect from jalen hurts i mean the question heading into the season was oh they've improved everything around him can he get just a little bit better as a passer because if he does that can take them you know a long way well right now he hasn't just gotten a little bit better he's playing as well as a passer as anybody um so if that sustains they're absolutely a super bowl team because they catapult from a a position of the outside looking in in terms of quarterback talent to the inside um but that would be a huge leap forward for him to take even with even bearing in mind the aj brown edition and the great offensive line all those kinds of things so by the way what did i say the uh, end zone fade was for uh braided 70 something percent you said might have been 70 seven for ten seven for ten that's seventy percent. I mean, it's also one away from sixty percent, and then two away from fifty. You know, it's a pretty small sample size you're dealing with here. I'm just saying, the rest of the league is exactly one third, fifty for one fifty one. Yeah, yeah. Over the uh, since 2020, Brady to Evans is seventy percent end zone fade plus back shoulder with goal to go. That's uh-huh. how, how I viewed that. Okay. Okay. Cool. Carry on. Um, so I, I mean, I guess the Eagles are definitely a very good team this year. I don't think that's really in question at this point, and they're they're now the favorites for that division because Dallas isn't. Uh, but what really determines, you know, whether they're going to be able to, like, my Super Bowl pick was Buffalo over Philadelphia. The Buffalo part looks fantastic because they look like the best team in the NFL. The Philadelphia part, right? What determines whether Philadelphia is going to be the same in terms of oh, we see it immediately. This is a Super Bowl team. This is our matchup is whether Jalen Hurts can sustain playing at this kind of level. Is six and a half too much here? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to lean Washington to keep it somewhat close here. I think Philadelphia's offense will put up points, but I also think Washington's reasonably well positioned to do that as well. Um, And particularly, you know, if Philadelphia scores early and it it becomes quite clear quickly that, hey, this is going to be a shootout, you're going to need to go nuts and try and hang – Washington can do that. I mean, they've got receiving weapons. They've got the ability. They've got explosive plays. They've got a quarterback that's willing to lean into that. The only question is, you know, how many, how many like head slapping Carson Wentz plays you're going to get along the way. I got asked this question, like, are you buying into Carson Wentz for the Commanders today? I got asked that on radio. I'm like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? Like, who's buying in? I don't. I know he's tied for the league lead in touchdowns. Well, there you go. I think Wentz at the end of the year might have this pretty good statistical season. Yeah. Um, Grade-wise, he's not great right now. There's too many negative plays for the grading. But I will repeat that I will will embrace the volatility uh, volatility when it comes to Carson Wentz because Terry McLaurin and John Dotson and what they have, Logan Thomas coming back. I mean, they've got some players. Like, let Wentz, let 
try to tap into the high end of volatility with Carson Wentz. You have to, and it's capable of going either way. Like he For can, sure. he can hang with a team like the Eagles on offense in terms of big plays and um, overall production. On the other hand, it only takes like two horrific turnover-worthy plays, and they lose a bunch of turnovers, and then the whole thing spirals into a disaster. But I think this is the type of game where he can go in a shootout and make this kind of close. Um, I also think I very impressed with Hertz. I want to give him credit. The analytical way of looking at someone breaking out though is sometimes to be like, yeah, he's probably playing above where he usually is, right? That's it's tough because it hurts the story. It hurts the narrative. And sometimes Josh Allen never comes back down to earth. Will mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts come back down to earth here? I think at some point he will. I mean, I don't think he'll be the best graded the best passing graded quarterback in the entire league Very all, fair. all the way through the year. Very so fair. that seems reasonable. I love the Eagles a lot. I think this is just one of those games coming off Monday Night Football. They're high. Washington ends up keeping it close in the, in the division game. Kansas City Chiefs at the Indianapolis Colts. The Chiefs are favored by six and a half here. Um, for me, the story is Mahomes against Gus Bradley. Mm-hmm. Um, now listen, I went back and looked through all the numbers mm-hmm. for those two guys. It's not like because Gus Bradley has been beyond last year, beyond last year. Right. So he was the defensive coordinator uh, with the Chargers for a few years, and they did do a pretty good job against the Chiefs. It's just that last year it stood out like a sore thumb. It was because last year was the first year where there was like a game plan. Right. There was this game plan of too high and force them underneath and all this stuff that was working, working, working. And then the Raiders said, forget it. Right. We're going to run our offense, run our defense. So here are the numbers. Mahomes against Gus Bradley defenses. like it historically 82.2 grade nothing special Mm -hmm. 17 touchdowns two picks 108 passer rating so it's actually pretty standard Patrick Mahomes um, against Gus Bradley's defense but last year 74 percent completions seven touchdowns no picks 132.9 passer rating it's another one of those I think Gus Bradley's going to do what he does, right? He's still mm-hmm. running the most cover three. He's still running the most single high. He's still running the same scheme. And that's it doesn't mean he's not a good defensive coach. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be a good defense in Indianapolis. Bradley's had more good defenses than bad, I would say, through the years. But I would love to see them adjust a little. I, I think Kansas City's just going to light them up again. In a dome, Yeah, it, they're going to light them up again. Yeah. the I mean, the good news for the Colts is that they should have both Shaquille Leonard and Michael Pittman back, who are their two most important losses right now. They're the best player they have on defense and their only viable receiving threat. So that's a that's a big thing to come back for both sides of the ball. The concern is, yeah, they're going to run the defense that doesn't work against Patrick Mahomes right now. And, okay, maybe it has historically had as much success against him as anything, which is to say not much, you know? Like you, the, the numbers you read out of the sort of historical success rate, it's like, yeah, running what you run will result in a 108 passer rating by that offense. That's not a great selling point, you know? Um, and what really concerns me is, like, he was asked about this this week. People essentially pitched in the question of, hey, last year Mahomes had relative struggles against two high, has done really well against single high looks, what do you think you know should you have like should you adjust blah blah and he essentially replied that no you know we played we did we we did a good job last year of slowing them down like okay look we can debate the historical like success that your defense had against him we really can make the argument that you did anything other than get wrecked by Mahomes last season I mean that's just not it's not an argument you can make it really isn't that defense got eviscerated 
by the Kansas City Chiefs last season. And if your plan is to just run it again, that can only go one way. The thing is about um, a defense like the Seattle cover three that Gus Bradley employs here, it is tough to do anything different. I mean, a big part of what you do is doing the same thing and repping it and repping it and repping it. And you have you have pages in the playbook for quarters and for cover two and all that stuff. They're just not practiced as much. And part of the advantage is that you practice your cover three and three match and you you practice those over and over and over again. And that's part it's kind of like the Mike Leach thing. Like he passed the ball well because they practiced it more than other teams. But it, but then it becomes less. You, then you, it becomes more difficult to just have a game plan oriented approach, which is okay. Like like if you're hiring a defensive coordinator, I'm okay with say like here's this guy. We do what we do, and we're just gonna wrap it and be really good at it. But then on a week to week basis, it becomes very difficult to come out of it and have a game plan oriented approach specifically for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I I feel like it's a case of what do you have to lose though. Like okay, that's you, fair. You might pivot. And run a you know try and run uh, try and run twenty percent of everything you know and just run a bunch of two four six run your three run your one like just mix it up as much as humanly possible and maybe that will result in some ridiculously bad play in the stuff you barely practice but last year your cover one three thing gave him a pass rating of one hundred thirty three like wh- here's here, how much worse can you play than that I will say the Raiders defense last year is probably the worst they had a really good pass rush last year. But that was probably the worst group that Gus Bradley's had, right? I mean, I guess he had some bad Chargers defenses too, maybe going up against Mahomes. But probably the Colts might be more, probably more talented. Stephon Gilmore on the outside, Leonard coming back, as you mentioned. The Colts might be more talented this year than last year's Raiders. The one other example I can remember through history is remember the Patriots always crushed the Steelers mm-hmm. every single year. Brady knew, oh, you're going to zone blitz me. You're going to do all this stuff you're gonna whatever i'm gonna pick you apart and the steelers at least tried to adjust there was the one year it's like we're gonna play man we never do this we're gonna play man they couldn't even line up right and they got crushed but it's like it's i still think it's just as bad as you know doing it the same way all the time the steelers tried different things at least i still think that was the right approach to that game was to say we know it won't work going the other way this way at least might work and that's all you can do against a team like that or against a patrick mahomes like this year yeah, sure, the Colts might have a better defense overall than the Raiders last year. On the other hand, they're giving up a passer rating right now of 121.5. Like, it's not like it's great. So I, all I'm saying is I can't see a way where you play that defense and anything other than Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes has a monster day occurs. Yeah, then Matt Ryan and if the they, Colts have to have a monster day on yeah, the other side. If they change it up and run more two four six and split safety looks and all this kind of stuff, is the same thing going to happen? Probably. But is it your best bet? Also probably. All right. I'm taking the Chiefs. Matt Ryan, by the way, on the other side, number 27 passing grade in the NFL. I'm sorry. Let me get my filter on here. No, 26. There you go. I'm also taking the Chiefs. I did, this is only going one way with... The only thing that can save the Colts is Shaquille Leonard, like making a couple of absurd turnovers. turnovers. Yeah, him, you know, peanut punch, forcing a fumble out, getting a pick for out of nowhere, like him on his own, creating some magic, can steal two drives and somehow keep this inside a touchdown. Am I allowed to say Patrick Mahomes tied for seventh in the NFL in turnover-worthy plays? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Seven touchdowns, no picks. Four turnover-worthy plays through two games, three of which came against the Chargers. He was throwing the ball up to the defense. That's a weird game. Yeah. He was throwing the ball. I mean, he threw up the ball up to the defense 
at the same level as Kirk Cousins on Monday night, basically. I'm just saying. That was the reality. Kirk Cousins, you know, paid for it. Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Mahomes getting not. out of that game without a turnover is insane. Yeah. If you actually go and watch the number of ways he threw, he put the ball in harm's way. Just saying. That might come back to bite at some point, but saying that for a few years now. I mean, it'll come back to bite if he does that every If he week, does it, but all he generally the time, doesn't. Yeah. Atlanta Falcons at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks favored by two. Mm. Geno Smith grading well so far. It was really one good game, one not so good game. I hate two week <laughs> rankings in general. I don't like it. I don't like it all. Because okay. um, the sample sizes are so small. Like you're literally a couple throws away. In our system, you're literally a couple throws away from being ranked sixth and being ranked 20th. I mean, it's, that, it's like that fine of a line in a small sample size. Yeah. So um, Gino's playing well in a conservative underneath game plan so far. Yeah. I remain Gino curious. Yeah. Um, He's also completing 81% of his passes, best in the NFL. My biggest question is what happened to all pro cornerback AJ Terrell? Because so far through two weeks, your two week sample size, he's allowed four touchdowns and a 90% completion rate into his coverage. Yeah, it's cornerback play. That's not great. It's called cornerback play. He allowed, like, he's, he allowed, what, three touchdowns last year? Yeah, I mean, he's already allowed up, more. Because you go up against the Saints and Michael Thomas, you go up against the Rams and Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup, and that's just, that's just what happens. Allen Robinson barely saw the ball in week one. Now all of a sudden he's the reason A.J. Terrell's not doing well? I'm just naming players that he had to go up against. Just naming players. Yes. Oh, man, this looks like a pillow fight. Uh, Falcons and uh, Seahawks by two at home here. Hmm. I I like this Falcons offense. I think I like they can, the Falcons here. Yeah. They're they're fun to watch, and I think they do put up points and um and have production. So Seattle's defense, I don't think really has the the personnel to go toe to toe with them and shut them down. They have a lot of the same issues um, outside of Inchenna and Wosu. They're not getting any pressure, or they don't have guys that win one on ones. Um, Seattle's got guys like Tariq Wolin, rookie corner. They just they're young. I, I just. I think Seattle's rebuilding, as is Atlanta, but I'm with you. I think Atlanta's got some, some playmakers to count on here. Mm. I, this is, I think Atlanta's offense will have success. The question is whether Geno can have the same thing be true for the other side of the ball. Yeah. Uh, because Atlanta's defense is still not good at all. So this actually could be a game where there's quite a lot of offense and quite a lot of points, and it's kind of fun to watch. But I will lean Atlanta being the better side. Yeah. Even, even with... It's a very long plane ride. Oh, yeah. We haven't mentioned that in a while. Yeah. East to West Coast, though, it's not as bad. Okay. It's not. I mean, if Seattle is going to Atlanta, slam dunk. <laughs> That's it. That's the analysis we need here. You're taking the Falcons as well? Yep. Uh, we only differ on two or three so far. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars at the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers by seven. Uh, Justin Herbert's got the ribs. Is mm. it officially ribs? The broken cartilage. Broken cartilage. That's right. Sorry, doctor. Um, man painful painful watching herbert um i have a trevor lawrence take though yeah justin herbert when justin herbert take justin herbert is who people wanted or expected trevor lawrence to be big armed okay throw you know laser beams all over the field but good decision making and the whole thing i mean justin herbert has become exactly what people wanted trevor lawrence to be now it doesn't mean trevor lawrence can't get there look good last week can he bounce can he can he build on that I mean, but isn't like the isn't what we're seeing from Justin Herbert through two plus years 
if Trevor Lawrence did that, you were just like, well, that's of course what we think that the best QB prospect since yeah. Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, John Elway would do. Yeah, I mean, Justin Herbert's what Justin Herbert is right now makes an awful lot more sense. It, the scouting report for Trevor Lawrence reads like it should be attached to Justin Herbert way more than the one for Justin Herbert does. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, like Trevor Lawrence's scouting report makes way more sense to explain Justin Herbert than Justin Herbert's own scouting report does. Um, I do, Yeah, like my baby steps, you know? Forget Trevor Lawrence looking across and being like, hey, I can be that guy in the future. Can you just repeat the one slightly above average game you had? Can you make two yeah. of them in a row? And then can we get two to three? And then maybe towards the end of this year, can we start playing well consistently? Like that... That's what I'm looking oh, for I mean, for Lawrence. It's, it's all about consistency now. Lawrence is coming off a game where he was 25 for 30, plus two drops in there. Adjusted completion percentage of 90%. Getting rid of the ball quickly, 2.3 seconds. It was a good game plan, I thought, from Jacksonville against Indianapolis. Getting rid of the ball, getting, the, getting their playmakers in space. Uh, Jacksonville needs more of that. And so, yeah, they're going to see if, if Trevor Lawrence can, can build upon that. I mean, the seven-point spread obviously depends on Justin Herbert or Chase Daniel. Yeah. Right. Also, by the way, let's not lose sight of what Herbert is going to look like if he has to play through broken cartilage. I mean, I've never injured ribs, but every time you talk to anybody that has, they're like, this is the worst and most painful, I can't, uncomfortable experience in my life. I can't believe he converted that fourth and one the other night. Yeah, it's crazy. Last Thursday but, night. So not only does he have to get through that for 60 plays or whatever it's going to be in this game, but in every one of those 60 plays, somebody's trying to hit him in the ribs. You know what I mean? So he might start off fine. Like we, we might get through ten plays and uh, it's okay. This is I can get through this. And then boom, somebody clocks him even, in the I can't side. Even imagine what that looks like. Right. So look, he, the dude's gonna. You know, he's <laughs> also by the way not to. How do we put this? In order to get through this game, Justin Herbert is almost certainly going to have to receive some form of pain killing injection. Yes. In the ribs. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, there you go. See? Uh, <laughs> See? You get there? Chargers don't have a great history there. There you go. I mean, that was this would open the door for, for old Justin. <laughs> right? I'm just saying don't rule out the possibility that Justin Herbert is supposed to play in this game and all of a sudden Chase Daniels taking the first snap. <laughs> Oops, we missed. Again. Okay. Um, you're right. I can't imagine playing with broken cartilage or ribs or whatever. No. And, you know, I'm granted, just, you're going to be, yeah. You know, we're, we're sort of, you look at the injury report, you know, you know what happened in the last game. We know what the injury is. That, whether or not he's playing, that is the type of injury that can dramatically affect this game. Some key players for the Chargers. Corey Lindsley, starting center. Questionable. He had a knee injury. In knee injury. Keenan Allen, already been banged up. Questionable again. J.C. Jackson, dealing with, quote, residual soreness per Bridget Condon of NFL Network after the Chiefs game. Residual soreness in his ankle. So a lot of key players here for the Chargers banged up. Also, I mean, Trey Pipkins left that game as well. The, Trey Pipkins is himself the weakest link of that offense, but he's a lot better than Storm Norton is. So if he's not there, problems. I love when you start, when you're condescending toward offensive tackles. What? Watch saying he's better than Storm Norton. I know, it's true. It's a compliment. It's true. Jags had that pretty good pass rush the other day, creative with uh, Josh Allen playing really well. You got Trayvon Walker, you, you know, uh, moving guys around. They created some pressure the other day. So something to keep an eye on there. Seven points is a lot. I don't know about Tra Trevor Lawrence backing it up again. Can he? I, no. I, 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 mm, 
I think. What do we do here if Herbert doesn't play? I'm taking I'm taking the Chargers by seven if Herbert plays. Yeah. Do we just just deal with it? Probably. I yeah. I think the Chargers should win this game and should win it handily. But if you get a like if you get a crippled version of of Justin Herbert, whether or not he's playing, like that, there's such a huge amount of variance involved in this game because of Justin Herbert's injury. All right, we got four more games to discuss here. Monday Night Football is going to be the Dallas Cowboys at the New York Giants. It's either Cooper Rush going to 3-0 and all-time as a starter, 2-0 and this year, or Daniel Jones and the Giants moving to 3-0 and here on Monday Night Football. Giants favored by one. <laughs> How stupid is this game where it's like the Giants and the Cowboys with Cooper Rush at quarterback and Daniel Jones. You're like, this is miserable. And yet combined, these two teams are 3-1. and Yeah doesn't make any sense giants are battling for the number one seed yeah they're doing the over under for this game i'm obligated to ask are the giants the worst 2-0 team in history maybe the over under in this game is under 40 yeah the the, the man in vegas thinks this game is gonna stink (laughs) (laughs) or defensive battle yeah but there's not enough like good defenders in this game to make you think hey this is gonna be some awesome defense Although, by the way, I feel I feel bad. I I don't want to be mean to Giants fans or anything like that. I mean, I want to acknowledge your two and zero. They're they've plus four point differential, mm-hmm. forty to thirty six. The uh, overall PFF grades, all part of pre- premium stats, two point zero, fifty seven overall grade for the Giants team. That's the second lowest grade in the NFL for a team. Yeah, just use just having that rolled up view. They're the only two and zero team in the bottom ten. I'm just throwing that out there. 57 overall grade, second worst, uh, just ahead of the Bears. Yeah. Um, That's what the Giants have done so far. Yeah, I don't think the Giants are very good. Uh, but one of the most interesting one-on-one matchups in this game, if they allow it to happen, is Micah Parsons against Andrew Thomas, who Andrew Thomas this year might be the best left tackle in the NFL right now. You know, two-week sample size again, but... He's playing really well right now. Yeah, continued improvement. From, yeah, and uh, he shows he shows the sort of the folly of judging rookie tackles, particularly ones that have to rework some form of technique, you know, some form of uh, of their fundamentals going into their rookie year. Just how much it can be a mistake saying, "Oh, well, that guy's we missed on him." Remember, like year one, Andrew Thomas is getting whooped every week, whilst Mackay Becton looks good, whilst Tristan Wirfs is immediately one of the best tackles in the game, while Jedrick Wills looks okay. And we're like, oh man, we drafted the wrong one. We could add any one of these other guys, and we got we got the worst one. And Andrew Thomas has just gotten better every single year of his career. Um, he was better last season, even with injuries, and now he looks really, really good. And we've talked a lot about how Micah Parsons is arguably the best edge rusher in the NFL right now. The only problem is. If you're the Cowboys, why would you line him up opposite Thomas ever? Like a single snap. Because the other side, you have, uh, you have Evan Neal, who's not Andrew Thomas yet. Yeah, and the Cowboys are not playing sides. Uh, week one, Parsons was 20-20, both left and right, outside linebacker. Um, it was more 2-1 to one last week on the left side or against the right tackle for the Bengals, or against Lyle Collins. Um, so the the Cowboys defense does have the flexibility to move their rushers, and they and they take that yeah. opportunity with Parsons. And look, you have you know he, there's a good pass rusher opposite him as well. I'm just saying, if I had a Micah Parsons right now, I would not. There would be no purpose to line him up opposite a good player when you have one that isn't on the other side. Like his yeah. pass rush win rate against Evan Neal 
would be like 70%. The dude just wreck house. I think Evan Neal has the same Andrew Thomas type of potential, right? Sure. Be some growing pains maybe. And then, uh, but he's very talented, very athletic. You watch him right now. Sized. He, he could do a lot. His biggest problem right now is that he just gets shed immediately. Yeah. Like he, he just, he doesn't seem to, anybody seems to be able to toss him to the side and get rid of his block, which for a guy that big and strong, doesn't feel like it's a permanent problem it feels like it's a technique issue that he need, he can get nailed down pretty quickly but yeah i think evan neal was supposed to come in immediately shore up right tackle and give them a really strong pair of bookend tackles with thomas on the other side that probably doesn't happen until at least next year but it means that you know right now he's just in way over his head if he has to try and block Micah Parsons. Yeah, I feel like we're so down on the 2-0 Giants, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe I'll be able to change my tune. I mean, if they go I'll change, my, they I'll change my tune Dallas, if they win. It changes things. A little right bit. Right now, it's like, yeah, this is, this is a team that scraped past the Titans, who it turns out also suck, and then got a win last week against another pretty hapless-looking team. So how, how impressed can you be? I'm taking Dallas. Underdogs on the road here against the Giants by one. I think the Parsons thing. I know he's a little banged up too. He got hurt last week. But I think the I think the defensive front for the Cowboys wreaking havoc here in this game. Yeah, I don't like it, but I Hmm. Parsons is not on the injury report. By the way, Dak is back at practice. Oh, there might not be there's not an injury report for yesterday, that's why. Uh Dak is back at practice, by the way. Not throwing or anything like that, but 10 days removed from thumb surgery. The team's hoping slash expecting week four or five for a Dak Prescott return. Week four is next week, Yeah. by the way. Um, so his thumb injury must be a little different than what Russ... Was Russ's a finger? And Drew Brees a finger a couple years ago? There's a couple of those like broken finger thumb injuries where most quarterbacks were like four to six weeks, I think. But it seems like Dak is really well on track to maybe only miss two games two or three games that's impressive yeah russ's what was it it was it was a name to his it was like hammer thumb or something it was the finger that wasn't the middle finger whatever it was it was like a hammer element to it or something yeah. um mallet mallet that was ryan it. mallet finger mallet yeah. finger that was, mallet finger that's that was the overthrows was. <laughs> right really fast overthrows mallet finger mallet finger whatever it is it involves firing the ball to people at 100 yeah. miles an hour from lost his touch away. with that ryan mallet finger um oh, i hate it but i'm going to dallas as well beautiful all right three more games houston texans at the chicago bears bears favored by two and a half mm. the nfl's done a really good job of taking the team the worst teams in the league and pairing them early on here <laughs> what like texans bears falcon seahawks I mean, there's some very well Get them out of the way. There's very well-matched teams at every level of competence this week, you know? Let's just say there's that. There's a couple of wretched teams playing each other. There's a couple of mediocre teams playing each other. And there's some very good teams playing That's each other. That's what's so interesting about this. Remember, again, last year, there was a point in the season where there was like five lines of double digits but that was in last a given week. week. It's just that they didn't necessarily they hold up. They just didn't play out like that, yeah. But we're a few weeks removed where I think that'll happen more. Anyway. Yeah, like last week, there was a ton of big point spread lines and i was like oh no it's happening already after week two and then actually the game the weekend was an amazing slate of games so who knows what are you looking for in this one but um well what are you looking for in this one texans bears i I mean anytime the bears play i think the most interesting thing in the game is justin fields uh who you know he's still capable of amazing plays but right now he's the worst graded quarterback in the nfl you know this idea of hey can justin fields raise the tide of everything around him can he drag the bears to respectability can he be enough on his own 
that nothing like the the ineptitude around him doesn't doesn't matter i mean so far the answer appears to be not really he made a couple of big plays against san francisco in week one but he's not playing very well right now he's holding onto the ball an incredibly long time a lot of that is extending the plays the way he needs to for for this whole thing to work but the players you would look at and circle on offense and say these guys need to give him help they're not big parts of the offense right now like darnell mooney where the hell is he put the guy's picture on a, on a milk carton because he's AWOL right now. Um, the offensive line, okay, might be better than it looked maybe in the offseason, but it's not good. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated, Ken. Like, this, this is about as good as he's going to see in the first couple of weeks. Can he play any better against the Texans? Because if he can't, like, the Bears are screwed this year. Fields basically has a game's worth of dropbacks. Yeah. I mean, Cooper Rush has nine more dropbacks than Justin Fields with a little bit of week one garbage time and a week two start. Fields has dropped back 40 times. He's 15 for 28 for a buck 91, two touchdowns, two picks, no big time throws, four turnover worthy plays for Justin Fields. Week one was the rainstorm. So it's like, all right, I get the run heavy attack. Everybody's asking questions. Week two, you're trailing the Packers in a comeback attempt and you drop back 18 times or whatever it was. Joe Flacco has 109 dropbacks and has like Joe Burrow leads the league with 110 but he's played in an overtime game like true Joe Flacco's got 109 and hasn't yeah so Fields his development how much more they put on his plate I want to see Derek Stingley on the other side I know he had a rough grade last week and I I feel like there's there's some just misplays in there it's like just tugging the arm at the last second like he's in good coverage and he's you know panicking a little bit at the catch point Stingley I still see the talent there, and I think he's going to be all right. And Texans are my feisty team of the year. They're the feisty team that's going to keep things close. And Jerry Hughes has a 90-plus grade through two games, and I think they're going to get after fields. Jerry Hughes one. is one of the most underrated pass rushers of his generation. That he's guy a, just consistently brings pressure. Remember, he was like a—I mean, I don't, he wasn't a bust. It took him three years. But he was like a disappointing—he yes. was a first-round pick, right? He was like a disappointing yes. first-round draft pick. You know, a guy that was supposed to become the player that he did become. And it just didn't really happen for the Colts. And then he goes and leaves, become, and then she ends up being a really good, really consistent pass rusher. Like Jerry was, Hughes, it, it took him going to Buffalo. He kind of—he didn't even break out, really. He kind of broke out in year three with the Colts. Yeah. He and then year a, four, he became good with the Bills and had been and was pretty much good from 2013 to 21. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's fair to say he was a bust because he was a, a viable player, I guess. But he, a he didn't play much for the Colts and then didn't do much when he played and then went to Buffalo and has been was basically Buffalo's edge rush for I a mean, decade. As a pass rusher for the Colts, he was a bust. He had 33 pressures for the Colts in three years five over his first two years he was drafted to be that dwight freeney robert mathis type of compliment slash replacement and yeah just didn't work out but yeah hughes has been excellent and um he's he's playing really well right now even if the pressure totals aren't there he's got a forced fumble so anyway i think the texans one of those teams that's going to keep it close davis mills averaged under five yards per attempt last week you know, he makes a few good throws and a few bad ones. Good news is the injured thumb is not affecting his throwing in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. Injured thumb not affecting his throwing. According to his coach, Pep Hamilton. That's Pep what's Hamilton. Which can be read in a couple of different ways. Can be read in, you know. When we were, when we were listing the worst rosters in the NFL, uh-huh. I believe it was Texans and Bears bottom two. And I believe the Falcons and the Seahawks might have been 
I had the third Seahawks and fourth worst. way down there. I think. I mean, I, I think I think we're seeing matchups of our perceived four worst rosters in the NFL coming into the season. That's all I'm saying. Mm. But we got to pick somebody. Give me the feisty underdog Houston Texans in this one. I'm taking the Bears. Taking the Bears. Huh? Bears. Check the weather report on this one. New Orleans Saints at the Carolina Panthers. Panthers getting three. So the uh, home, yeah, another home underdog in Carolina. Panthers beat the Saints week two last year. The, uh, the PFF app says 64 degrees, 16 mile an hour winds. Cloudy. 16 mile an hour winds. It's almost at that game plan changing cutoff there, mm-hmm. wind wise. Well, the good news is neither one of these quarterbacks can throw anyway. So it's, you know. Ouch. Not a big, not a big change. What are you looking for in this Saints? Panthers matchup. I'm already getting questions about if it's uh, Andy Dalton time. Poor Davis Mills, by the way, <laughs> playing in a game that's windy and with a broken thumb. It's not broken. Well, I, broken, broken as in not functional. Oh, oh, I got you. I understand. Yeah, poor choice of words, but you know, <clears throat> anyway, I'm just saying the man's up against it. Understood. Our power ranks have the Texans 29 and the Bears 28. Sorry, over it on Green Line. So maybe not as bad as I thought. Yeah, but those are different to the sort of the roster rankings that we had. Understood. You know, I'm just telling you that's where our power rankings are right now. Okay. As another data point. Oh, that's fine. Saints, Panthers. Yeah. Um, Carolina's offense needs to do more. I don't mean like play better. I mean the offense schematically needs to have more than this like vanilla Mickey Mouse stuff that they're running right now. They haven't turned it around since firing Joe Brady. No. It's almost like that wasn't the problem. Um, Baker Mayfield might be the best thing they have going for them in terms of a quarterback option, but the guy has a grade of 45 right now, and he's not being helped by the offense at all. Like, at some point, the quarterback needs something to help him. You know what I mean? Like, the, the scheme and the quarterback are supposed to have this symbiotic relationship where they make each other better. Right now, I think the opposite is happening in Carolina. The scheme is making Baker worse, and Baker's making the scheme look like crap. The whole It's just a mess. Yeah, they got to figure something out there. They got to they, they, they got to play better. I mean, it's going to be tough. Saints Saints defense is interesting because I, I think they're still playing well on the back end. They're not getting the same kind of pressure as they're capable of. I think with their defensive front, that should change maybe this week against Carolina. Panthers haven't been as bad on the offensive line maybe as we expected, but mm. again, it's two weeks in. But yeah, Baker Mayfield's got to. <laughs> what are we going to say? How often are we going to say this? Just got to play better. Just got to play better. That's it. Jameis has to play better, too. Pat Elfline currently has a top five grade amongst all centers. Yep. Wow. You didn't think that was possible? Well, certainly not for any extended period of time, and I'm still not sure it is. So is that one of those guys you're like, hey, this this won't be sustainable? I mean, look, the the body of work and the, the previous extent of evidence, I would expect Pat Elfline to grade worse over the remaining games of the season than he no. has in the Two first two. The Giants have a couple big guys in front, uh, yeah, up there. We're, so that that's impressive. The Browns might have the worst defensive tackle situation sure. in the NFL. So there's mm-hmm. there's a little something to that. Um, last week, Jameis four turnover worthy plays, three picks, um, and just missing open throws. Yeah, I mean the dude, he's got to play better too. I mean this is a battle of Winston versus Mayfield's two former number one overall picks who have played much better football. At other points in their career, they have to play better than they have. This is where I'm embracing the variance for Jameis, though. Like Jameis, you got low end of Jameis last week, where yeah. he started heaving the ball to defenders time and time again. If you work on the basis that Jameis is a roller coaster, that was the bottom out. Now we're coming back up. This week against Carolina, 
he's not going to throw the ball to the defense four times and we're going to see a better Jameis. Yeah, I'm wondering how how good the Bucks defense is. If they are because they made Dak look bad, they made the Cowboys offense look really bad. I think it's good. Made the Saints look really bad. I'm wondering if we're going to be looking at this a few weeks from now saying, "Ah, it was against the Bucks. That defense is mm-hmm. loaded right now and just playing out of their minds." Um but yeah, I'll take New Orleans and the Saints bouncing back here. Just a, they're a better overall team, favored by three on the road against Carolina. I'll take that. Yeah. All right, last game, Cincinnati Bengals at the New York Jets. Jets beat the, the Bengals last year with Mike White at quarterback. Yeah. Bengals favored by five in the Meadowlands. Joe Flacco is one of the best graded quarterbacks in the nfl right now right he's, yeah, he's playing pretty well. high he is one of the leaders in yardage he's what, third behind only tua and carson wentz he's got a really good grade last week was his highest single game grade since 2018 when he was still starting for the ravens yeah since since the year where he started the season and then they eventually you know flacco eventually played like crap and they benched him for lamar that's the last time he had a grade as good as he had last week against the Cleveland Browns. So, how do you interpret that? This guy's playing well. He's playing well, or we, you know, he's he's just a high end of of playing well right now. He'll come back down to earth. No turnover worthy plays for Joe Flacco. He had the strip sack. Maybe we didn't blame him for that, but that's getting you know taking care of the ball like he is. Can he keep that up? I would say no. <laughs> Uh, the one thing you can usually count on with Joe Flacco is we're only a period of time from a horrific decision pitching the ball somewhere bad and he hasn't done that so far so I would imagine that is a sort of Damocles hanging above the Jets head just waiting to drop you know the thread breaks and there's the clanging play but so far it hasn't happened Um, I also think this is a real test now for that Bengals pass protection like okay you got wrecked the first two weeks but it was against tj watt and and michael parsons that's as tough as it gets the jets don't have one of those guys but they do have a pretty capable pass rushing group quinn and williams quinn and williams playing really well john franklin myers um like jermaine johnson is there the rookie is is strictly a rotational guy not even a a designated pass rusher but a guy who's just going to play you know 20 snaps in the game um carl lawson like they they have depth. Maybe none of them are amazing. None of them are Micah Parsons. None of them are T.J. Watt. But it's the kind of group that across the board can test what you bring to the table in terms of pass protection and see how that new group looks like. Lyle Collins has been dealing with a back injury this week, which is, I think, a sort of long-term thing, a repeatable, a repeating thing for him, back injuries. He didn't play on Wednesday which is when their sort of big install day is it's that's a pretty significant thing so he might not even be playing in this game I just think this like if the Bengals show up in this game and it looks as bad as it looked the first couple of weeks they're in deep trouble I'm gonna go with the Bengals to win against the Jets I think they're a better team yeah I'll say they cover the five I think the Bengals look it still comes down to Joe Cool. Joe Burrow, right? He's supposed to be the guy, right? You know? Yeah. Do you see deleted social media? He's out. He's shutting the noise out. Good. Good? Yeah. We blame Mitchell Trubisky. We said that was weak when Trubisky was turning off all the TVs. TVs. The TVs oh, TVs, are TVs is not cool, but social media is fine? Yeah, everybody should delete social media. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. TV? 
you can live you can live with tv but you don't want to you know if i'm mitchell trubisky i'm turning off like first take and whatever <laughs> skip bayless is on and all that stuff too of course i am yeah uh-huh. mitchell because he's just he's, he can't handle it but joe's just like laser focus laser focus delete that get out of there toxic toxic social media nick saban calls it rat poison he calls all the media rat, rat poison. poison yeah they're all rat poison okay not regular poison rat poison that's fine burrow it's joe cool he's gonna come back uh-huh. jamar chase will make his plays jamar chase for sauce gardner some matchups that'll there be that'll be fun um i think the bengals bounce back here to your point i think they're i think the bengals pass rush causes Flacco some problems that's the other number that stands out right now that I, I think is going to be tough for Flacco to sustain 12 12 percent of his pressure dropbacks have become sacks that's one of those numbers where he's usually on the lower end um so yeah I think Flacco is going to come back down to earth a little bit here and the Bengals will come back to uh Bengals pass rush hasn't been great though through a couple of weeks um you know Trey Hendrickson is their their best pass rusher I guess he's got three pressures through the first two games no sacks um it, it hasn't been the kind of dominant force that it's capable of being. I mean, uh, Tyler Smith. That's going to revert. It's going to revert. Fairly well shut down the blindside pressure. We'll say Joe Flacco's best season. Do you know his best graded season was 2014? Um, I know they, they had the, he had that run in 2012 where they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. But he was bad at one point during that season. He was bad until like the final five games and then won himself $100 yeah. million. And I say contract. that, look, I say this in a nice way. With he's, a, he's an NFL quarterback. He's awesome in the grand scheme of things. But in the <laughs> scheme of the NFL, in 2012 when they won the Super Bowl, people were like, what are wrong with the Ra- what's wrong with the Ravens? Kind of in this possible way. He was, he was asked. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but his actual best graded season, Flacco, was 2014. Uh, great Kubiak and that scheme and the whole, you know, the Shanahan thing. The... He is in a system where he's had the most success previously. Now, he didn't have necessarily have that success last year, but, you know, this year is looking pretty good. What are you, uh, the, what are you judging the best season by? PFF uh, grade? Sorry, second best season. Yeah. Overall grade, 76.2 in 2014. He did have a 78 in 2009, his second year. Mm-hmm. Second best. I'll sort it Which again. Which also was uh, 80, 81.6 if you had the playoffs. No, if you keep just the regular season, rather. I'm in, I'm in regular and post. Oh, I keep flipping between the two. Yeah. Are we done here? I, I'm, I'm torn in this game. I don't. I think the Bengals might actually be in a bit of trouble here. Screw it. I'm gonna go with the Jets. Jets. Jets cover. Joe Flacco. I, you got one shot. One shot. I have been a Joe Flacco detractor for years now. Yeah. I'm giving him one shot. I'm buying in this one Just time. Like you gave Baker one last shot last week, and he didn't. He didn't get it done. And now you're picking against him. Now I'm going. Yeah. So now I'm going with Joe Flacco. I trust in Joe. One time, if he screws me, I'm out forever. Man, I'm 12 and 20 on the season, huh? That's not good. It's not good at all. No. I'm usually pretty good at this. Yeah. 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 Not this year. Not this year at all. Yeah. Off to a slow start. Maybe this is your week. That's it. Our week three previews in the books. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back here again on Monday. Yeah. We're just taking off. We'll be back here again on Monday, uh, reviewing all of the. Will that fit me? I mean, it'll reviewing fit. Reviewing all of the week three action. Just in case of what you have to do to get it on your hand. All right, let me know if you can hear this. Do you want to practice? Run! Uh huh. Pass! Yeah, it's pretty different. That's good. Well, that'll help you then. Yeah. So if you're playing linebacker, you think that'll 
get you to drop a little bit quicker? I mean, I don't, get you the ball a little bit quicker? I just don't think you need to, you know, alter your cadence or whatever you do in baseball to make those two things sound different. Yeah, I've been proven wrong before. Look at that. Pretty distinct. We good? Yeah. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you Monday. Go get the PFF app. Hurry up. Mm-hmm.